We have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. On Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeart, Facebook, YouTube, and oh, half a dozen other places, including Substack under Southern Sense. I'm your hostess with the least most, just the Radio Chickadee, Annie, along with my confused co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. Skype is after you again today. Curtis? We just lost sound on Curtis. Curtis, you're going to have to hang up and call back in again. I got no sound on your end. Okay. Oh, we got you. We got you. You got you. I just you heard you. You got me now? Got you now. Yeah, I won that battle <laughs> with Skype, but at least I thought I did. <laughs> but it's just strange, you know. It, it, these things happen, and I don't know why. But uh, sometimes I don't know. I think the, the, the state got their eyes on us. <laughs> Any years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that they do, that they do, and that's going to be one of the things that we're going to be talking about also uh, today with some of our guests. And there was some very last-minute uh, changes to our lineup, uh, so we're going to have Josh Perry, who is with, and let me see if I can get this correct, uh, Red State Broadcasting Network. Uh, he's at Real Josh Perry. And we're going to have Janice Heisel. She is with the Epic Times, as well as Mark Tapscott from the Epic Times. Uh, Janice has been following the Trump campaign across the nation, and that's going to be a, a whole heck of a lot we can learn from her. And normally oh, yeah. we have, uh, normally we have from the Heritage Foundation, Hannah Davis, 
but she is away today. She's not out. She's not in the office. And we have Hans Van Spakovsky with us today. He hasn't been with us All for right. a while. So this is going to be a lot of fun to uh, finally have him with us today. So And, and that's good because we're, we're, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, especially with the um, Biden, Hunter Biden um, scandal. Yes, yes. And I'm trying to get the postings up on Facebook, so just bear with me for a second, guys, because <clears throat> yeah, Facebook is playing games again. Yeah, so we're having a little trouble with that. So, well, hopefully we get uh, this up on SHR Media right now, so that's good. That is very, very good. All right, so we are back up on YouTube and everywhere else, and they can also go to the name of our show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. So we got ourselves a jam-up show, and as I said, a couple of those were uh, booked just last minute this morning. So we're going to be swinging for the rafters and doing stuff off the top of our head. (laughs) It's going to be interesting, Curtis. Very, very interesting. It always is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, So that said, uh, those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to Sergeant Corey Maynard of the West Virginia State Police. His end of watch was Friday, June 2nd of this year. And this is from several sources. There was not a lot of information on the incident that took his life. So um, here goes. From the Officer Down Memorial page, you can find it at odmp.org. Sergeant Corey Maynard was shot and killed while responding to a shooting call in the Beach Creek area of Mingo County at about 3.30 p.m. The subject opened fire on responding officers, fatally wounding Sergeant Maynard. The man fled the scene but was captured approximately six hours later. Sergeant Maynard had served with the West Virginia State Police for over 15 years. He survived by his wife and two children. And this is from Legacy.com from his obituary. And it reads, Sergeant Corey S. Maynard, 37, of Charleston, West Virginia, formerly of Turkey Creek, Kentucky, departed this life on Friday, June 2nd, 2023. He was born July 22, 1985, at South Williamson, Kentucky, the son of Stephen Walter Maynard and Leslie Catherine Maynard. He was preceded in death by his grandparents, Billy Owens, Juanita, and Lester Cather, and Janice and Walter Maynard, and one aunt, Ethel Joe Cather. Sergeant Maynard served 15 years with the West Virginia State Police. He began working at an early age at Food City, with his wife, Rachel, where he formed many relationships that lasted his lifetime. He was a proud patriot of America and an avid fan of baseball, especially the Baltimore Orioles. He loved traveling to Ireland and listening to jazz music. In 2015, he was awarded the Life-Saving Award for Saving a Pursuit Suspect's Life in January of 2014. He was notorious for taking care of his great hair and making sure it was perfect. Corey was a loving husband, 
father, son, brother, uncle, and friend. He will be long remembered for his dedication and loyalty to those he loved and served, and for his generous heart, always lending a helping hand. And from MSN.com, it reads, Saturday was a somber and difficult day for Williamson County Trooper. Trooper Corey Maynard was well-known in the city. Shirley Mounts and her family work at the Three Guys Pizza in Williamson, set out a beer at a spot where Trooper Maynard used to sit. Corey was definitely one of the good ones. He cared about everybody, Mounts said. It was always, yes, ma'am, thank you. And even if you knew him for years, he was very polite, very friendly, always laughing. Mount said Maynard would talk about talk with her about how to make the Williamson community better. He really cared about the community. He and I would talk about ways to make it better for the kids in our area. I'm a teacher in this area, Mount said. She said law enforcement was Maynard's passion. He was a graduate of Belfry High School, and he also received a life-saving award from WVSP for saving a life during a pursuit in Virginia in 2014. On Friday, just an hour before Maynard was called out for the call about a shooting in Beach Creek area, he got his weekly haircut at Bocce's Barbershop in Williamson. He was in here, normal. He is in here every week, every Thursday. Friday, getting a haircut, said the owner and friend, Joseph Bocce. He left out of here, and you never thought you would not see him again. He would come to the meetings stern, and he would make his voice known that he was going to do everything in his power to get help, that get help houses torn down if it meant going out and citing and writing the tickets, Bocce said. Mount said she would miss his Maynard's passion for making their hometown of Williamson a better place. The way that he cared about a community, what he wanted to see for a community, said Mount. And from WSAZ.com. Patricia Bennett sat down on Monday at Three Guys, where she last saw her brother, West Virginia State Police Sergeant Corey Maynard. The restaurant was where he often came with his two children, his friends, and his family. In that same restaurant, a beer has been placed where he used to sit. He's going to remember for a lot of things being a state trooper, watching out for people, but also as a brother and a son and a father and a husband, Bennett said. Down the streets of Williamson and in the walls of three guys, Bennett has too many memories to count with her brother, Corey. Two weeks ago, we were here at three guys. I took him and his two kids out to lunch. I talked to him probably three times a day, Bennett said. Now she sits inside with her friends who were his friends, too, remembering how Maynard would embarrass her in high school and joke around. He did the best sling impression you would ever hear in your whole entire life, she said. But it was not only the jokes that made him stand out. He treated the people he knew and met all equally and with respect. If you were the mayor or the little man that could not buy beer at Dano and Spano's, he would treat you with the same respect. 
Sergeant Maynard was a leader in the law enforcement community in Williamson. When he turned his blue lights on to rush to a shooting in the Beach Creek area, it would be the last time. Sergeant Maynard was killed in the line of duty, and Bennett said his character saved lives. His brother was the first one there. That is solely his character. He would, if he could, do it again tomorrow. He would have to protect those boys, Bennett said. It is tough because they're grieving too, but they're also reaching out to us. Bennett said Maynard would worry if his children would be okay if something happened to him. If she could say something else to him, it would be this. That I love you and your kids are going to be okay. And so will Mom and Dad and Sarah. And I'm going to miss you, she said. And finally, from W. The Metro News by Jeff Jenkins. There were tears in the thin blue line in Wednesday in Mingo County as the community said goodbye to West Virginia State Police Sergeant Corey Maynard. Maynard was killed in an ambush-style shooting last Friday. Several hundred police officers from more than a dozen states traveled to Mingo Central High School to pay their last respects at Maynard's funeral. Leading the memorial service was Major Jim Mitchell, State Police Chief of Staff. Sergeant Corey Maynard wasn't just an excellent trooper, but a great human being, he told a large crowd. Amazed but not surprised, Mitchell said he couldn't get over how many people came to show their support and love to the Maynard family and to the State Police. Many of them have never met Sergeant Maynard, but that didn't matter to them. Maynard wanted to be close to his family. That's what Interim State Police Superintendent Jack Chambers said, one of a few who spoke during the service. Maynard was originally posted in Martinsburg before being transferred back closer to home. Chambers said Maynard was a hero. We lost a member of our ranks that could be never replaced, Chambers said. Governor Jim Justice also spoke. He said, it wasn't hard for anyone to notice the outpouring of support displayed by those who came near and far to honor the fallen trooper. If you'll just look around, you'll see the very fabric of just who we are, the governor said. People from just down the road in Mingo County neighborhoods or some from multiple states away came to pay their respects. A Missouri State Highway Patrol officer said he drove more than nine hours. Luke Benke said Maynard was a law enforcement brother. I got a call a couple of days before I left. I was asked if I wanted to come down here, and I said, absolutely, Benke told the Metro News. I think it's good to show the family that even though we work states apart, we are all in this together. It's a harsh reality that those in law enforcement face every day. Kawana County Chief Deputy Joe Crawford said Maynard was a respected officer who rose quickly through the ranks of the state police. He believed Maynard could have gone on to even higher ranks had this senseless tragedy not happened. 
I think he was a rock star, Crawford said about Maynard. There was no doubt in my mind we would have went a lot further. For the many that came from across the state of West Virginia and from other states, including Georgia, Iowa, Wisconsin, and the patrolmen from Missouri, Crawford said it's a huge sign of respect. To respect and honor him, Sergeant Maynard deserves that. Sergeant Maynard, your end of tour. Stand down. We will take it from here. We dedicate the show to Sergeant Maynard and to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. And we dedicate the show to all the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this wonderful nation through today and into our hopeful future. May God bless each and every one. We can never say thank you enough. We dedicate to them this song by Tiffany, Soul of the Nation. May God bless each.
Facebook, iHeart, uh, Substack, oh, half a dozen other places. Just go to the name of the show, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least mostest, of course, the Radio Chickadee, Annie, along with my courageous co-host, who Skype hates at this moment, Curtis I'm telling you, what's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I pay, I, I pay them to be on, so, I mean, I figure I should be treated, you know, with respect. That's Rodney Dangerfield would say. <laughs> you ain't getting get no, no respect. respect there, son. Ain't getting Not no respect. Ah, oh, jeez. I mean, there's so much to talk about going on right now that uh, I don't even know where to start. And you got your friend, uh, Josh Perry, calling in very shortly, correct? Yeah, he's going to call in at um, 1.30. Good. That's good. All right. Um, <clears throat> one of the items... Uh, I want to talk to him about, and probably he's caught this up, uh, that an Idaho resident from Moscow, Idaho, uh, had at the height of the pandemic in September of 2020, was arrested for appearing in public at a church hymnal singing. Uh, they're in public in a parking lot. And if you look at the video, there's little yellow squares painted in the parking lot six feet apart. Uh, and everyone's singing songs of praise. It's a church service. They're outdoors. They're spaced, six feet apart, not wearing a mask. Excuse me, that's what the federal guidelines were, right? Guidelines, mind you, not law. A regulation is not a law. It has not been legislated and enacted into law. It is just a bureaucrat sitting behind a desk, hitting the keyboard, and coming up with crazy BS stuff. It's a regulation, and a recommendation. Not even a regulation, a recommendation. Well, he gets arrested because they actually ripped the, the hymnal out of his hand. And you look around the parking lot, and there's families that are gathered on one little circle. I mean, it's a whole entire family. But people are, you know, walking around, and he puts his arm around his buddy. He goes, this is my friend here. You know, we're, we're here together. But no, they put him in handcuffs, lock him up, and walk him away. And he sued. He sued for violation of his First Amendment right of freedom of religion. Right. Nor is Congress nor is Congress or anyone allowed to prohibit your free expression thereof. But they did. He sued the city of Moscow, and they settled for 300000 Now, this may set a precedent for settling, but it doesn't make it case law, unfortunately. However, it opens the door for anyone that has been penalized in any shape or form for exercising their religious liberty. And 
having it inhibited because of the recommendations from from Fauci about how to handle the pandemic. There was I know we talked about this on the show at the at the height of the ever the scare uh, around the time that this uh, gentleman was arrested. There was a pastor that was on a, a march that was arrested. He was dragged down the pavement by the officers and handcuffed. Uh, there was another church that said, okay, fine, you can't come inside the church because they're making us lock our doors. So sit in your cars, tune your radio to this station, and we will broadcast the service out to you in your cars. They made them disband. So this opens up a lot of suits against these municipalities that enforced draconian regulations on people that is not law and had people arrested prohibited them from from expressing their faith and how many people lost their jobs because they refused to take the jab based upon their faith their belief in christianity their belief that they said hey wait a minute human embryo cells stem cells are being used in these vaccines that is against my faith i will not take the jab and, well, and it gets I, even better than that because now, oh, let me follow this one thought forward because this this is this coming out just now is going to make it a whole whole huge slide of, of of lawsuits because now they're proving through various studies that these jabs are not by law vaccines, not recognized by vaccines, but they were approved and stamped as vaccines by the FDA. They are, in fact, the very gene therapy I've been talking about since the very beginning. It alters the structure of your cells and has the potential to alter the structure of your DNA when it alters the structure of your cells. And you can pass that modified DNA and gene structure to your offspring or even through common passage. Say, for example, your spouse has been vaccinated and you have not and you have relations, because of that relationship, you may pass that DNA therapy onto your spouse. This is all coming out. The Epic Times broke this story a while ago, and they've been running with it. So, Curtis, go ahead. Tell me, tell me what you see, because I see a firestorm coming. Yeah, I see that. And I understand the um, religious um, part of, of what you said. But what I would like to see... It's um, people who were forced to um, get the jab or lose their job. I would like to see that fight because that would have greater yeah. implications down the line if we, we won because that would mean well, in the future no government could make you insert something in your body against your will and then hold you hostage you know, by saying you take this or you lose your job. Actually, the uh, Supreme Court has allowed that to happen because they say it's for public safety. But we're going to see something. We're going to see something come back that. to the Supreme Court. You're going to see something come back to the Supreme Court because our constitutional right states in the Bill of Rights that we should be secure in our persons and papers. That's right. Now, they did not foresee the advent of the Internet and cell phones and our information now being compromised over the airwaves. But that is considered papers. 
That is your personal identity. That is your personal possession. But your physical person, you should be secure in it. It is in the Bill of Rights. So by violating my person, by forcing me to take something into my body I do not want, you have violated the Constitution and you have committed a crime. But right. the FDA Suppose has they want you to, to put a chip in you. Suppose the government want to That's put a chip I mean, in you and it, say, it, you, oh, you, but it's for the public interest. Uh-oh, okay. you, you open up a so. whole other can of worms. No, no, because that's something else we're going to be talking about on, on that. Uh, biometrics, where now with your handprint, no chip, but your handprint, if you place it on a device, it will read all of your information. So if you go to, say, the local food store, instead of pulling mm-hmm. out a card or you know, presenting a chip, just your hand. And think about how that can be hacked and misused. Place your hand on a counter unwittingly, and someone's got a scanner beneath it, and all of a sudden now all your information goes down the window. Put your hand on a railing, and someone's wired it or bugged it with a scanner. Now your information is now out there for everyone to know. It is opening up such a slippery slope. But your friend Josh is here in in the studio. I want to welcome, uh, let me make sure I get this correctly, Red State Broadcasting Network, Josh Perry. Good afternoon, sir. How are you with us? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm hey, doing fine. I'm, I'm the hostess with the least mostest, the Radio Chickadee. <laughs> and I'm glad Curtis <laughs> was, uh, was kind enough to invite you in. Uh, but we were talking yeah, about starting off. It is. It, thank you. It's our pleasure. Uh, we were talking about this churchgoer that sued the city of Moscow, uh, Idaho, and won 300000 and the doors it's opening in litigation uh, and how many more people can now present their cases, including uh, first responders and medical professionals as, and military that were forced to lose their jobs for refusing to take the jab under religious objection. And then Curtis opened up the door about implanting a chip because we don't want to be jabbed with a foreign object, which proves now, the Epic Times is reporting, it is not recognized as a vaccine per the FDA guidelines. It is actually, in effect, gene therapy, which I've been saying all along. It alters the structure, the structure of the cell. Therefore, by their guidelines and their rules, it becomes gene therapy. But Curtis mentioned inserting a chip, which some people want to do or a barcode on your neck, which some people have advocated for. But the newest thing is a biometric, where your handprint itself, you don't need to carry a credit card, just your handprint itself will give whoever needs whatever data. So imagine you just put your hand on a desk, and you're unaware that someone's got a reader implanted in that desk. Where's security? How do you prevent someone from stealing your ID if it's just your handprint? <laughs> My goodness. Sure. What, what, what is next? Right. I I don't want a an injection of some magic serum they concocted in a Wuhan lab, and I also don't want the implantation of a microchip underneath my skin for them to debank me as a type of social credit score that we see over in China. And I'm dang sure not giving them my fingerprints to pay for anything. And I believe that we already have something like that. Um, I fly a lot. I use TSA PreCheck. But there's also another security bypass called Clear, and if I'm not mistaken, you have the option of scanning your retinas. Oh yeah. And there's yeah. there's people willing to do that. 
Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's true. Um, I used to own a travel agency, and I used to work for American Express Business Travel. And we were the old school, where you actually hand-wrote a ticket out. <laughs> okay. And then we came up with computers, and then you carried passports. But I checked out uh, at when the pandemic came through about this, you know, coming through the TSA a lot easier and faster. Uh, and I said, well, that's great. But then when you think of the ramifications of it, yeah, it's a pain in the butt to stand in line and present your passport and your ticket and everything else. But how much more secure are you in your persons and papers than giving a retina scam or a thumbprint? Uh, even a thumbprint. I, my fiancé said to me, he goes, hey, listen, look what I did. I just did something cool. I can access anything on my phone with my thumbprint. And I'm thinking, I'm not doing that. No, I, I'm sure as heck I'm not going to be doing that. You know, someone wants to steal your phone. What are they going to do? Come up with a pair of bolt cutters and cut off your thumb? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm about like ten cop. years ago, about ten years ago, I went to Disney World, and I haven't been back there since. And one of the reasons is, or the main reason is, they wanted um, my fingerprint. You had to give them, you know, you had to put your your finger on some gadget to get in. And I had to do it at that time because, I mean, I spent all this money to go. I just happened to have some tickets that I purchased years before, you know, that had no expiration date. And um, once I found out they want your fingerprint, I haven't been back since. Wow, I've not been wow. back. So not only do they want your fingerprints, but they want your children too. So they're a little <laughs> bloodthirsty there. Yeah. Well, let's take this Let's take this one step further because last week a story broke that Elon Musk was applying for permission to experiment with behavior modification using brain implant. Now, I'm worrying about a thumbprint on your phone uh, or a chip being implanted or a barcode placed on your neck or your hand being your biometric. But how much more are we going into 1984 George Orwell's reality? with behavior modification with a brain implant. Yeah, no thank you. I mean, there's, there's, we have plenty of people ever since we shut down the insane asylums that walk the streets to act as if they're being programmed by some ventriloquist. We don't need to put brain chips in us. <laughs> no, no, not at all. You know, um, if you remember back to the stories of the 1950s where frontal lobotomy was the craze, if anyone had a behavioral problem, they went in through the eye and removed or or damaged part of your frontal cortex to make you docile. Uh, The most famous one was uh, FDR's daughter. And she had a frontal lobotomy because she was a wild woman. She liked to have her fun but to control her behavior and to be proper and the daughter of a president of the United States, they gave her frontal lobotomy. Thankfully, those mobile vans that raced across the country doing these surgeries are are no longer in existence. But now we have this where they're talking about behavior modification using an implant. And that is very, very scary for me. How do you get governments to not abuse it. I'm sorry, Putin, you can't modify uh, Zelensky's behavior and make him compliant so he can take over Ukraine. Let's let's just, just do an implant in his brain so that president of Ukraine would be nice and docile for Putin's 
or Zai, I'm sorry, uh, the Fulangang or the Uyghur Muslims are, are protesting about your abuses and how many people you've killed of their group. Uh, so we'll just start giving implants and behave, control their behavior. Oh, wait a minute. Isn't, aren't they already doing that with facial recognition on their phones by smart boards? I right. Am I going down the wrong road here? It's, it's the new technocratic version of the beatings will end with behavior complies. Wow. There's, there's so much to cover in this area, but the question comes back down to now with this ruling, uh, not ruling, with this um, award given to this uh, Gabriel Wrench out of Idaho, uh, uh, Moscow, Idaho, will it actually open up the doors for more lawsuits and maybe help the men and women that were disconnected from their jobs as first responders, as uh, a medical front line, uh, and our military, would it open the door for them to either regain their jobs or compensation for losing them? It, it should, um, especially given that we know for a fact that the Fauci Alchi, the dad, is causing all kinds of health problems that we're not allowed to ask about unless we be demonized as anti-science. But I hope this case does create a precedent that spans nationwide into all areas of vocation, and hopefully those servicemen and women who were kicked out will be able to regain not only their rank and job, but also pay benefits and an additional supplementation for the inconvenience that has caused them for only sticking up for their autonomous bodily right of you're not sticking me with a serum of which I don't know the ingredients. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where are the, all the lab reports and testing that they've done? We have yet to see that, have we? No, we haven't. I mean, and we've yet to see the adverse effects of it. We were just told, trust the government. But as history tells, trusting the government is not the wise thing to bet on. No, but uh, actually they are now doubling down because the Biden administration wants to allocate $5 billion for a new COVID vaccines with very little manufacturing guidance. They're calling it the, as known as Project Next Gen. And it's going to actually dwarf Operation Warp Speed of Trump's. That was $18 billion. Um, he's, he's, doing, he's going to be doing not only what Trump did, by allowing these vaccines to go through untested fully, but even worse. And the question is, is this really going to happen? Will our Congress allow the allocation of these funds? Or do you think they could, we have enough there to stop it in any budget? Who knows, because it almost seems as if Congress does, is a non-factor anymore, considering that these three-letter agencies have their own autonomy and can do whatever they want. And we know that Republicans will only do strongly written letters in ongoing investigations. So I don't have any confidence that at least the House Republicans or the Senate Republicans are going to do anything other than speak toughly and maybe put out a strongly worded tweet. Well, now, Good they job. just recently passed oh, – go ahead, Curtis. Go ahead. I was going to ask about the, the budget because uh, they recently passed the budget 
for defense, which removes uh, abortion and gender reassignment from the budget. Uh, it's gone out of the House, but it doesn't look like it's going to survive the Senate, will it? Probably not. And, I mean, I am happy to see that we're not using taxpaying dollars to pay for abortions or to pay for someone to identify as something they're not. So, But who knows if it'll pass the Senate. I'm doubtful. Maybe it'll pass in the next congressional cycle if we have another person in the White House. Go ahead, Josh. You you work for a number of um, candidates and their campaigns. What was it like? As far as the campaigning, uh, <clears throat> well, I, your role in it. Okay, so I first started off in campaigns as as the low man on the totem pole, just door knocking and um, trying to get out the vote, as one would say. And then I moved up to field director and overseeing a, a specific county or counties and hoping to win those specific counties and making sure that the door knockers who I used to be are doing their jobs. Um, and then I've moved into more of consulting and strategizing and how to message to your everyday common voter. Because believe it or not, a lot of these people running for office, they're so out of touch with how people are struggling to put food on the table, how people are struggling to, you know, how much gas am I going to put in my car today? Am I going to put $20 in so that way I can save $20 extra in my account until I get paid next time? A lot of these people running for office are unsure and really unrelating to the issues at hand. So what I do now is I help expose them to that. And this is really no fault of their own. Uh, I think with great financial success, and unfortunately, it takes that to run for office nowadays. It's, a, it's extremely expensive to run for office. Um, but it's kind of lost sight of what the common person is facing. Um, I think President Trump does a good job of understanding what the common, common person faces and that why he's polling better with blue-collar Americans um, than Governor DeSantis is at the moment, at least. And I think, you know, with my role now with candidates, I just helped a candidate win a state representative race here in Ocala, Florida. And thankfully, he understood the issues, came from a very humble beginning. Um, But as far as strategizing campaigns, it's a lot of what I do. I help craft message, help identify the issues, help get the candidate understanding of the issues and how to solve, um, uh, create a policy that is, targeted in solving that issue. You know, it's it's interesting because sometimes the candidates will say, I'm going to run because I feel something has to be done. But when you start to talk to them, because I still run a Tea Party since 2009. We we are still active. Uh, But when we start talking to them and you start delving into issues that you are concerned about, sometimes they got that deer in the headlight court look. And I don't think a lot of them thoroughly think through the fact that when they run for office, it's not a one-issue campaign. Right. So what do you do with someone like that? Well, I think that's where you have to, uh, hopefully the candidate, which a lot of candidates are not coachable. I don't know if you've ever played 
sports or you were uh, CS, you were in the military, if you're not adaptable to change, if you're not adaptable to uh, new environments of learning new behavior traits, of just learning something new, if you're not coachable, instructable, it's very hard to get that candidate to see from beyond their nose, right? So <laughs> right, right now we face the woke culture that's telling us men can be women, that's telling us men can participate in sports and go into a, a woman's bathroom. But there are other issues at hand here. If you were to ask the everyday person what's impacting their daily life more, woke culture or eggs and the pricing of homes, whether it be rent or purchasing a property, they're going to tell you the economy is hurting them right now more than anything. Um, because while we as people can protect ourselves and our children significantly from woke culture without much government assistance. Now, we need the government to create good laws that are protective of normalcy, but you cannot outrun Joe Biden's crushing inflation at the gas pump or at the grocery store. No, that that is the God's honest truth. I mean, yesterday morning, I'm actually, it was two mornings ago, I was taking my mom somewhere. Oh, actually, I was going somewhere, and then later on, I went past the same exact gas station about three hours later. The price of gas here in South Carolina jumped 30 cents a gallon. Not five cents, not even 10 cents, 30 cents a gallon within a two-hour period. Wow. And his oil, his, his oil production policies are actually killing the economy. It is killing the uh, American home. My fiancé was looking for a specific loaf of bread. And he, it's something he loves to eat. And he goes, well, how much is it? Well, if you went over to the next brand, it was a dollar less. And I said, whatever happened to the 99-cent loaf of bread you bought when right. Trump was in office? Or less than $2 a gallon for gasoline. Here, I don't know what it is in Florida, but the gas station I drive past every morning is $3.39. And that's high for us. Imagine what it is yeah, in a metropolitan I mean, area like New York, California, Hawaii. Or any of the other territories? Correct. And it wasn't that long ago when President Trump was in the Oval Office and he got gas prices down below $2 after Obama's mm -hmm. eight years of disaster on America. But going back to how do you get a candidate to see beyond one issue, if you're constantly readjusting your budget because you don't know what gas prices are going to be because of inflation, you have to get that candidate out there in front of people to meet and greet with them. Because a lot of these candidates and a lot of these political consultants that are out there are really just sharks looking to make a good penny. You know, they don't have a clue on what the person living down the road, you know, is feeling or experiencing. They don't have a clue what the teacher or the homemaker, or the mechanic is doing um, as far as their finances. A lot of these people are wondering, am I ever going to be able to buy a house? Can I buy a house? And housing prices are being inflated, one, because of illegal immigration, and two, because we have venture capitalists and groups like BlackRock that are buying whole subdivisions and neighborhoods and large quantities of homes that are artificially inflating the, the housing market. Well, so we want to throw in. Uh, 
well, throw in now what we're learning about China buying up a lot of residential real estate. Uh, China buys them up, and what are we going to end up doing? We're going to be renting our homes and apartments from China. We will no longer have personal property if we allow this to continue. Correct. You know, we used to be a, a country that prided ourselves on personal ownership, on owning property, owning a house. Now we are a subscription-based society that even if you were to buy a smart car in today's society, you can sell that hard shell of a vehicle. So if I owned a vehicle that ran on a subscription-based technology similar to a Tesla, I could sell that vehicle to CS. He would buy the car, but the the subscription technology would not transfer with the sale. He would then have to purchase that subscription technology that that, – operates that vehicle from the vendor. In other words, it's satellite XM radio on steroids because it's no longer just the radio controls. It's your cars, you know, Wi-Fi, everything. And cars all now have these built-in Wi-Fi that anyone can tap into. Absolutely. And what an indictment it is against America that we allow our number one enemy, not Russia, but China, to buy and own property here in America, knowing that they have spies everywhere and proxy ownerships. Now, we don't have the CCP owning government over here, do we? No, we have someone by a different name owning property. But, hey, we can't, we can't question if that's just proxy ownership. Uh, now, I I enjoy what we did here in Florida where we banned China from buying property close to government buildings, but that's not far enough. We should absolutely create a national ban on China from owning any property in America before Americans start buying property and becoming the tenant to the CCP. Well, you know, I was screaming bloody blue murder when I heard that China was allowed to trade on our stock exchange. Uh, for for decades, they were barred from change any trades. Now you look at uh, pension funds, IRAs, or other investment funds by hedge fund managers. How much heavily have they allowed Chinese stock to influence our stock exchange? Uh, you walk into Walmart, and I keep on daring people find something in Walmart that is made in America. It's very difficult to find. Uh, you can't buy an American flag out of Walmart that says "Made in America." No, you can't. You cannot. And now, I talked about this before. It was as insidious as it is now. But I've talked about these Confucius schools that were being placed into our K through 12 schools. Forget about even the influence of Chinese on our higher education, the endowments they have made to various universities that control the curriculum. But there's a group out there, Parents Defending Education, that released a report on Wednesday, and this is in Newsmax, called Little Red Classrooms, outlining somewhere around $18 million given to various schools in 34 states to help indoctrinate them. It covered 143 districts, including 20 near military bases. Wow. That's, that's wild. You know, if you, if you are on any type of pharmaceutical medicine, if you were to trace oh, yeah. the origin, it's likely that your pharmaceutical medicine 
comes from China, the same place that allows fentanyl to be manufactured and produced in China, shipped over here through Mexico, and wreak havoc among our nation. So our number one enemy is making pharmaceuticals. Could you imagine what what would happen to the United States of America if all of a sudden China said, we are no longer going to make insulin tomorrow, or we're no longer going to make, you know, you name the pharmaceutical drug, if they just shut it down? Well, It's insane that we offshore, we subscribe to our number one enemy for health-related medicine. Well, I don't know if you recall, there was an image put up in the news that lasted maybe all of 24 hours, and I said in less than 24 hours, the image is going to be taken down. There is a sh- was a shortage at the start of the pandemic of PPEs, the personal protective equipment, the masks, the gloves, and the whole thing. So China is not only met manufacturing for us over 90% of our pharmaceuticals prescriptions, but the over-the-counter and other medical equipment, including PPEs, masks, gloves, gowns. They showed a picture inside a Philadelphia warehouse, and every single box was stamped gloves or mask or gown, and every last one had it made in China stamped on the box. And they said, well, they've got the equipment. How come it's not being distributed? Well, I'm wondering who was actually holding up the, the, the distribution, but everything was coming in from made in China. Now you throw in their, their control of now rare earth minerals, as they are now the controlling manufacturers of solar panels. They have gotten so much into our life that trying to pry them out is going to be a long, drawn, decades-long pro- progress, if we ever could. Right. You know... I can't believe that we're not more, you know, trusting of China, considering that they make all of our products for us, and, you know, out of the goodness of their heart, they also offered us the pandemic of the coronavirus. <laughs> and we thought those little baby onesies that they manufactured and had a recall was a problem. <laughs> the cribs that they manufactured right. that they had a recall was a problem. But how about these containers that they're shipping over that no one is allowed to inspect? They're given a manifest saying, this is what's inside there. Even though you're an inspector, you can't take a look inside. So we can be shipping anything we want. Or how about Mm -hmm. the other than Mexicans crossing over our border since the late 80s, early 90s that were noticed to be other than Mexicans coming from Asia and coming from the Middle East, and coming from other areas in South America. And, oh, but there's nothing to look here, so the government says there's nothing to see, nothing to worry about. They put the signs as the illegal immigrants crossed over in Chinese, in Arabic, and in Spanish. And this was in the late 80s, early 90s. And I forget which magazine had it, either it was Newsweek or Times. And I remember reading that in the doctor's office. And I'm saying, holy crap, back then. And we still wow. haven't learned, have we, Josh? No, we haven't. You know, coronavirus was just a one ploy within the pandemic. The, the rest of the whole plan is to destabilize America through massive illegal immigration, through planned inflation, through you know, planned confusion with the LGBTQ agenda. All this stuff is not just because Joe Biden and the Democrats are, are idiots. Joe Biden's not an idiot. Joe Biden's just confused on where he is. He has, he has no <laughs> idea who he is. Or, exactly. But these Democrats, 
they're not they're not idiot per se. They're just evil ventriloquists that are puppeteering all these different strings to create havoc, meaningful havoc. When I hear someone say Joe Biden's presidency is a, is a failure, it's, it absolutely is not, not according to their agenda. They're actually executing no. what they're doing. No. I yeah. wish, I, you know, I wish the public yeah, I, fought with the ruthlessness of the Democrats. Unfortunately, it's a, unless it shows like mine or reporting like yours, it's not going to get out there. Um, I recently did a DNA testing for myself, but I made sure the company that I chose was not a lab that had been infiltrated by China. And let's get into even talking about how they've gotten into academia as well as science in our nation. And what is the policy? They send over one person, and it was their job to send back as much of our information over to China. But we don't have to do that anymore, Josh. We just have our companies go over to China to begin manufacturing their products there, where China mandates at least one member of the Communist Party is on your board and a member of your management to steal, or you must give all of your intellectual property over to them. So, all right, you're you're, you're manufacturing these widgets to bring back to the United States for, say, $5 a piece. China steals all your technology and knowledge and then copies it and sells it to us now for uh, 3 or $4 and cuts the other guy out. So you know, right. we're just giving the nation away, and our, our leaders are just too blind to see. Well, we have a resident-in-chief in the White House. I didn't say... Uh, commander-in-chief, but a resident-in-chief in in the White House right now that is a tenant of the Communist Chinese Party. He is, they are his landlord. You know, Joe Biden is Mm -hmm. controlled by China. And then you had, Mm -hmm. um, who was it, Eric Swalwell, Representative Eric Swalwell (laughs) was caught. I hope he had a good time. Having, you know, (laughs) personal relations with a Chinese spy, yet he's still in Congress. Yep, yep. And Mitch McConnell had China manufacture a lot of his shippings for his company. Uh, we can go on right. and on. And uh, was it Diane Feinstein, her security or chauffeur was a Chinese national that was a spy? Oh, we can go on and on. I mean, we thought the Muslim Brotherhood was really buried into our government, but China has them hands down. Josh, it has been such a pleasure having you with us. Our next guest is in our studio with us, and we've got to have you back on for a lot longer conversation, sir. Absolutely. You can follow me at Real Josh Perry on Twitter and on Truth Social. Also, follow my writings at Right Side Broadcasting Network. Oh, God bless you for the hard work you do. Let's keep everyone's eyes open here. All Thank right, you. Josh. Take care. <clears throat> Take care. All right. All right, Josh Perry, check him out. We got our next victim up in the studio, and we've got two people from uh, Ep- the uh, Epoch Times. And I drive Mark Tapscott crazy every time I say Epic Times. <laughs> I've known him for years. He's a sweetheart. I want to welcome first time to the show, and oh, she's going to be saying, I'm so sorry I agreed to come on. Janice Heisel. Good afternoon, Janice. How are you today? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. I'm actually on my way to Pennsylvania for former President Trump's next uh, rally in in Erie tomorrow. 
Yes, absolutely. He's got the next one. He was up here in uh, South Carolina in Pickens. And boy, did he uh, raise some eyebrows here. I mean, I'm sure you were here in Pickens, correct? Absolutely. In fact, I had a a really good time, although it was extremely hot in Pickens. I don't think I've really ever been that hot in my lifetime. It was a scorcher that uh, particular day, and I know a lot of people were actually treated for heat exhaustion. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wasn't one of them, thankfully, but I, I was close. Well, it seems that uh, Trump has uh, his his staff is very very savvy. So they say, hey, you want us to come into town? You pick up the security costs. So now Pickens uh, County Council is struggling to find forty thousand dollars <laughs> to pay all the first responders and other staff that were there <laughs> at the, at the rally. Uh, so they're like they're, they're just wondering what did we just get ourselves into. <laughs> I'm laughing. Oh no! But he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be coming here to uh, Columbia, South Carolina, because I got a brief message on my phone earlier saying that uh, Trump Force One is supposed to be landing in Columbia sometime uh, within the next couple of days. So it's interesting. He's going to be crisscrossing, of course, here, and we are first in the South. So it's going to be very interesting. And I have to say, I was supposed to be up in Pickens with a couple of friends on the bleachers behind him, uh, but because... uh, I'm the full-time caregiver to a couple of people. I wasn't able to make it. I couldn't get anyone. And I said, well, if I go to Pickens, it's it's about three and a half hours from where I am. I'd have to stay overnight, and I can't leave them alone that long. So hopefully when he comes closer, maybe down to Buford, (laughs) I'll get to see him. Yeah, actually, he's going to be there next Saturday is is the plan, Um, and he's going to be a a speaker for what they call the Silver, yes, the Silver Elephant Dinner next Saturday. Yes, ma'am. I, I, again, I'm a member. I'm a member of the Silver Elephants. <laughs> I just, I got the the uh, invitation in from Drew McKissick, and I Drew, Drew's a sweetheart, and I said, well, I'm, I'm going to respond, and like, well, that means I have to go up there, and I have to stay overnight, and now I leave her alone again, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, I can't do that. So that's two chances. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be crying. You're going to make me cry when I get off the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, listen, they had threats all over the media that imminently Trump is going to have a third indictment and go on and on and on and all day yesterday. And now they're doing it again today. Um, but you wrote a great article which came out, I believe, last night that uh, his lawyers met with the DOJ attorneys. And last time that happened, that's when several days later the indictment actually came out. Are we, in fact, looking for a new indictment, or are they going to be able to get out of this one? And what is it well, supposed you know, to be about? Well, because all of the grand jury proceedings are behind closed doors, um, you know, it, you really aren't supposed to find out anything. However, it does seem like there do appear to be a number of leaks to certain media uh, about some of these grand juries that have been meeting regarding former President Trump. Now, this particular grand jury, uh, Mr. Trump himself did, on July the 18th, issue a notice on his Truth Social saying, hey, I got a, a, what was called a target letter, that was on two days prior, which was July the 16th, on a Sunday night, which he thought was quite unusual that anybody from the Department of Justice would be sending out an official communication on a Sunday evening, and he also raised the possibility as to whether 
that was related to um, some remarks that he made the preceding day at the Turning Point Action uh, Conference in, in Florida. So it was very interesting timing, as Mr. Trump pointed out. So the former president is saying that apparently this investigation is based in Washington, D.C., and it surrounds uh, the events of and leading to the January 6th um, incident, January 6, 2021, right after the 2020 election. And as, of course, I'm sure many people remember, uh, Mr. Trump and uh, quite a few supporters were challenging the results of the 2020 election, and the protest at Washington um, did end up with, you know, some violence that was very well publicized. But we're finding out some interesting facts now many, many months later about how some of that went down. So that's what it's about, whether he, you know, committed any offenses relating to the violence that eventually erupted, unfortunately, at the U.S. Capitol on that day. Well, you know, I was listening to a speech on the radio, and um, actually, yeah, I was, I was driving at the time, and at the same time, I was getting texts uh, on my phone, and of course, I don't read the text as I'm driving, so as I got into the driveway, I start looking down at them, and the timing of the text, they're saying that the Capitol was being invaded, was more than an hour after he made the statement about peacefully uh, to protest at the Capitol. Uh, I, I forget exactly what the, what the phrase he used was, peacefully and something else. And I'm saying, wow, it was, and all of a sudden I'm saying, well, he, they, they were saying he instigated it. I'm saying, I was listening to the speech, and the only, oh, to peacefully march on the Capitol, that was a full hour, more than an hour, after the Capitol had already been breached. So my question is, is how the heck do they connect the dots in something like this? Well, you know, that is precisely a question that many other people have been asking, um, and many other people also have pointed out, um, including we at the Epoch Times have pointed out that, other media kind of forgot to report that uh, former President Trump, at that time he was still president, if you recall, he actually did use the phrase peacefully and patriotically. That was the exact phrase right there, yeah. peacefully and patriotically, and would march to the Capitol and allow their voices to be heard. And uh, he did say in other parts of the speech, to, you have to fight, you have to fight you know, really hard uh, for what you believe in, those types of statements. But um, a number of other supporters of Mr. Trump, including some people in Congress, have pointed out if that type of language is some type of a crime, then everybody in Congress and a lot of other elected offices are guilty of that same crime because people say that type of language. And when they say fight, they don't necessarily mean physically. They mean you know, standing up for one's belief type of thing. And so that's the argument that that we're hearing in regard to the defense of former President Trump. So um, there are actually some other things, apparently, you know, they, they've been investigating for the whole period after the election leading up to this. And so it'll, it's really hard to say what the charges could be. But one of the very real concerns and risks uh, according to a lot of people, including uh, uh, a journalist, Julie Kelly, who has been following this very, very closely, 
Um, she is afraid that uh, former President Trump will be indicted on what is known as seditious conspiracy. And if we just you got are a, an official, under the 14th Amendment, you cannot hold elected office ever again if convicted of this charge. Some people even think being accused of it would be enough to knock you out of contention for elected office in the United States. So that's one of the biggest concerns of the possible charges that, that could come out of that grand jury. No, I, I was doing a little research. Of course, a little. For me, that's an understatement. Uh, one thing brought to mind, uh, I thought it was really funny. It just crossed my mind when he was saying that we had to fight, fight, fight for what is right. There was a song, I think it was like 80s or 90s disco, that went, you had to fight, fight. Fight for your right to party. <laughs> That's what went through my mind. <laughs> I think that's the Beastie Boys. Yeah, yeah. So I do remember I, that song too. <laughs> but I'm looking at the scheduling right now that he's got October 2nd, he has the New York Civil Fraud Trial. January 15th, he's got the second E. Jean Carroll Civil Defamation Trial. March 25th is the Manhattan Hush Money Trial, and then May 20th is the latest indictment out of Florida. But if you look at the timing of all this, um, our nomination contests are usually wrapping up by March or April, with the latest final held in June. Now, the RNC requires that all contests be held by May 31st, but this throws up into question how do people vote in the primary? And it seems that every time they give Trump um, another indictment, his numbers and donations go skyrocketing through the roof. Uh, so, you know, it's like, come on, bring them on. The more you do that, the better chance I have of winning the nomination. But what happens if he then gets convicted prior to an election? You know, because we are in such uncharted territory um, it, it's really unclear how all of this will end up playing out. Now, I will say, as a, an experienced reporter who, I, for many, many years, most of my coverage has focused on court cases, um, I, most court cases that I've ever seen end up being delayed for one reason or another. And uh, one of the uh, latest questions about the fact that they just added more charges and another defendant to the Florida documents case, that raises the question, will that May 20th trial date stick? And uh, because now the case has become, you know, somewhat more complicated when you have additional charges and an additional defendant. Now, the federal government has stated in its court paperwork that it wants to stick to that date and doesn't feel that this should disrupt the, the schedule. So, uh, however, there is literally 1.1 million documents that the uh, government has provided already to Mr. Trump's lawyer, uh, lawyers, I should say, and also they are looking through more than 1,000 days of security footage that he handed over from Mar-a-Lago from the security cameras. So there is a huge, voluminous amount of material. And then when you're looking at the schedule that these lawyers, some of them are on the cases you referenced, they're going to be tied up. And if those other cases mm -hmm. get bumped later, then it may, might affect 
these cases. So it's a bunch of moving parts, that's for sure. You know, I, I, somebody said, well, what happens if he gets convicted after he's elected president? And I'm thinking to myself, well, the smartest thing would be is to trip down the stairs, temporarily be incapacitated and have a cast put on. During the time you're temporarily incapacitated as president, have the vice president become president, pardon you, and then you come back as president. <laughs> what do you think? Well, there are some people who think that he might actually be able to pardon himself if he were to be elected and not yet convicted. Now, that would only apply to the federal charges, and if uh, you recall... The uh, federal cases, we just have right now the, the documents case out of Florida, the one involving the raid at Mar-a-Lago and the classified records. Um, I would like to point out about that one that, um, if I recall, there are only about, uh, there's somewhere around 185 to 200 individual documents that that is about. And it, it's kind of, some of the readers of the Times have pointed out the pictures that were released by the Department of Justice show all kinds of boxes, but really it's not like they were boxes and boxes of filled with the classified material. It was kind of interspersed with the documents that had the classified markings. So I wanted to point that out. But uh, so the other case, you know, the state charges out of New York and possibly now coming later out of Georgia for, again, Mr. Trump's challenge to the election results, those state charges a president cannot pardon anybody for state charges, only for federal charges. So how that will play out, too, is another (laughs) matter, and whether any of these states can try to keep him off the ballot because of um, these different cases, offenses, uh, convictions, if they happen, all of that is still very much questioned that people don't know. Well, you know, as a reporter, I'm sure you've took took a look into this. Has there ever been an instance in a presidential election with two front runners, like we have with Biden and with Trump, has there ever been an instance anywhere close to what we're seeing now, any sort of a legal challenge and indictment or anything of any anyone prior to an election? Well, actually... There was, has never been a former or current president of the United States who has been indicted. There was one president, I don't remember which one, but years and years ago, who did face some type of charges. And this person wasn't indicted. I don't remember the nature of the offense. I'm sorry. But um, so, yeah, as far as anyone knows, this is absolutely unprecedented in the history of the United States. Um, for especially now, also we have some serious allegations that are now under investigation regarding current President Joe Biden. So mm-hmm. it's just this time to be a reporter right now and have a front row seat to all this craziness. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's going to be an unforgettable time. It, it already has been, but the concern is, unfortunately, for our country is. What are the ramifications for our nation? And it's kind of mind-boggling to even think about it. It is, you know, because I I have someone near and dear, and every now and then he'll pop up and say, he's going to be indicted, he's going to go to jail, he's going to go to jail. But we've never, as you said, ever had a former or sitting president indicted 
much less hauled into court and convicted of anything. And what happens to the Secret Service? Because they got Secret Service for life. Does the Secret Service now have to spend time behind bars in order to protect his life or her life? It opens up a whole... (laughs) Yes, I've heard that thing. Absolutely. It's a whole new territory here. But uh, former uh, Attorney General, acting Attorney General, to be correct, uh, Matt Whitaker, made a comment on Newsmax not to tell people not to read the Epoch Times or watch Epoch TV. They can find at theepochtimes.com. How do you like that plug? (laughs) (laughs) But But he said this prosecution of Trump for these documents is unprecedented. And it does not follow the equal protection of the law because they're not going uh, against Biden or any of the hundreds of other elected officials that allowed documents to go awry. Uh, Remember the famous shove the documents in your waistband as you sneak out of the building uh, incident? Um, Is there equal protection? I'm sorry, you cut out there a little bit. I was was saying that you've got to remember that there are others, Biden among others, have walked out with classified and confidential documents. That, was there prosecution? No, they pay a fine, they return the documents, they wash their hands. This is not equal protection under the law, according to Matt Whitaker. Yeah, I've seen a number of other people make very similar statements to that effect. But I, I also wanted to point out that uh, something that former President Trump frequently points out, and that is the Clinton's Fox case it's called that because former President Clinton had, uh, I think, over 50 meetings of uh, meetings that he had, many of them with friend leaders, and these recordings were stored in his box drawer along with yep. know, the box you put on your feet. And um, <laughs> so that case did not end up with any um, prosecutions or anything to that effect, and that's something that there was actually a, a legal decision from a judge saying that the there is kind of unclear as to how a president is supposed to specifically declassify records, but that it, this decision says the president is the sole arbiter of that designation. If a document is classified or not, that is entirely up to the president. So... You know, a lot of people have said, oh, he has to go through a process of declassifying. Um, well, again, that is, doesn't seem to be entirely settled under the law, and especially when you, when you consider that specific ruling from the judge in the Clinton Fox case. Yeah. Well, I also recall Obama was caught with documents. Oh, and don't, let's not forget about Hillary Clinton and bleach bit. What do I use? A, 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 a rag? What? Well, how, do, how do I. Yeah, right. Believe that, and i got a bridge in Brooklyn that I can sell you. <laughs> mm, there were a lot of questions about that one. And in fact, if I remember uh, correctly, just within the last couple of days, or maybe even earlier today, uh, on the Truth Social account, Mr. Trump did raise that issue and talk about the uh, 33,000 emails, including a number that were classified, that... Uh, didn't lead any charges for Hillary Clinton, his former 2016 uh, political rival. So um, lots of other, you know, cases. In fact, former Vice President Mike Pence, they decided not to prosecute him 
Now, in his case, I think he only had a few records. But once again, former President Trump has consistently pointed out that the a member of the Senate or a vice president such as uh, Mike Pence or such as then-Vice President Biden doesn't have that declassification authority like the president does. So how does you know, right now we do not know whether uh, for, whether current President Biden will be charged with any any offenses relating to his possession of those documents, which have famously now been reported to have been in Chinatown and uh, in the garage with his Corvette and other unsecure locations. And so it'll be very interesting to see, like you said, the equal protection under the law uh, comes into play. And so I do expect to see that his lawyers may be attacking that uh, in the court case um, it, or maybe if he happens to be convicted on appeal, that could come up as well. I'm not exactly sure, you know, what the ins and outs are, when they can introduce such a claim. Well, you know, um, Mark wrote an article a couple of days ago dealing with a Fauci advisor using personal email. I don't know if you've heard about this one. Um, five senators led by Kansas Senator Roger Marshall want the U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy to investigate a key advisor. Uh, the person is Captain David Moran's personal email. Uh, messages sent on U.S. Public Health Services, but he addressed them to Peter and colleagues as evidence that he deliberately avoided compliance with federal laws by using his personal email to conduct official government business. And in that email, he wrote, and catch this, this is the most damning statement yet. He wrote, as you know, I always try to communicate on Gmail. Like, that's never going to get hacked, right? Because my NIH email is foia constantly. Yesterday, my Gmail was hacked, uh-huh, probably by, by these explicitives. And until IT can get it fixed, I may have to occasionally email from my NIH account. And his yeah, I, I really commend Mark for, for uh, digging out that information and reporting that to the public. One of the biggest uh, difficulties for all of us in our society right now, reporters or not, is we live in, it's, it's a, almost an understatement to say we're in the information age because thousands and thousands of stories are out there every single day now from citizen journalists, from alternative podcasters, um, independent journalists, um, people who say they're journalists, but they're not. <laughs> um, and then, you know, places like the Outback Times. Uh, so it, it's really, a, there's so much information out there that it's really hard to be an informed citizen and know everything that you're supposed to know um, to, to make, you know, important decisions about how we interact with our, our elected leaders. So I'm glad that I'm really proud to be part of an organization that places that as a very high priority to try to do our very best to get correct information to the public, even, you know, at the risk of sometimes being criticized for doing that, um, because we, we try very, very hard to go down the middle and, you know, be fair and accurate as possible with the coverage. and try not to, you know, slant it or use a lot of those biased words that um, do show up so often in other reports. 
<laughs> well, um, I constantly have the TV on in my house. There's multiple TVs. And I usually, my, my preferred channel, you know, is to Newsmax. Um, you I catch online uh, when I can. And sometimes my fiancé will change the channels and it'll be like MSNBC or CNN or one of the others. And he looks at me because I'll start screaming at the TV. I will literally start <laughs> screaming at the TV. <laughs> I'm I think sorry. many I of us have been in that posture, unfortunately. <laughs> well, I do keep my service revolvers locked up at that point in time. <laughs> I don't want to have to pay for a new TV. <laughs> Oh goodness! But there is so mis so much misinformation out there to try to find you know the truth. Because when I do my research for the show, and I do it only once a week for three hours, um, I will take days upon days of compiling information, and then sit down the night before and then go all right. Fine, this is from this source. This is from that source. All right, what's the reliability of here? What's the, and then I would choose what I feel is the most reliable, and then filter out the facts. But you don't see that with the public doing it. If it's not in 40 characters or less, or on TikTok, it's not worth paying attention to, because whatever's diehard, blowhard is there on TV, bubblehead, bleach blonde, I'm sorry, you're blonde, I don't mean to say that, <laughs> but you know what I mean, is on there saying whatever she wants, like Joyless out there. Uh, she's a real real winner. I wonder what color her hair is today. Um, spouting such inaccuracies at the public just gobbles it up. So how do we get the word out? How, how do you go past that and get people to listen to your voice? Well, you know, you, you do hope that eventually that the, the, the cream <laughs> kind of rises to the top. Uh, and, and that I do think that eventually the truth comes out, but it, um, one of the unfortunate things uh, about uh, the instant communication we have is sometimes people really are well-intentioned. They don't mean to spread misinformation, but they get so excited about getting it out there first or the fastest that they didn't check into it the way they should or didn't look at it uh, with a critical eye or maybe the initial report that they received, they're reporting it accurately, but it, it later comes out that the official told you some incorrect information. The unfortunate thing is the initial tweet or you know, whatever name the name the media platform posts never it always gets the most traction, and then the correction of it never has as many eyes on it, so to speak. People end up walking is the yep. veracity of the very first report, and then they never saw the corrected report. And it takes a long time to get that corrected information into the public psyche. Um, but this is, in a way, not new, even though it's sort of on steroids now with, with all the social media and electronic media we have today. But Mark Twain had a, a quote very much like this. He said, a lie will make its way around the world twice or three times or whatever it was, before the truth gets its pants on. And um, I think that, that was true then and is, is, is true today, um, but I, I think maybe it actually makes its way around the world many more times before it gets its pants on, the, the truth gets its pants on. So, yeah, that's a, a very unfortunate and difficult circumstance for all of us, whether, again, you're a citizen 
and not, you know, attempting to do any type of journalism or whether you are, you know, for all of us in our society, it's, it's a very uh, difficult, you know, exercise. To, a lot of times people are just turning off because it's so difficult, the mental gymnastics and that, that are needed to really sift through and, and separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, here. Yeah, you have the news cycles, and it's not even news cycles anymore. It is nonstop barrage, and usually it's on one topic all day long, and occasionally you get a little smattering of something else in between, but it slips in so fast, it slips out so fast, it doesn't absorb into your mind. And I think that's the problem we have with these new news outlets out there. The MSNBCs, CNN started off as an really a good balanced show and over time just saw it go left 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 now i went to watch something on uh, fox news last night and now i find fox news as of yesterday is now a subscription (laughs) so it's like wait a minute (laughs) we're not getting to our core audience which is on the left now no longer on the right uh but the cycle is just you're brought it's like trump not being indicted all day, all day, all day. We had recently the Murdoch trials all day, all day, all day. And I live in the heart of where a lot of that occurred. And a lot of my friends knew the, the people involved. But you're hit with it nonstop to the point where it's like, all right, that's, I've already seen that. I'm turning it off. Uh, let's watch. Let's make a deal. And people are starting <laughs> to turn it off, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And this is another huge challenge for um, candidates. Uh, I actually had a story, if you dig through, you could probably find this, but I think it was something like about the the changing media landscape. I interviewed some uh, professors of political science who pointed out that right now, instead of being able to go on, when some of us that are, you know, maybe 50 plus or whatever uh, were growing up, we we remember having like three news, three channels, you know, ABC, Mm -hmm. NBC, CBS, right? And, um, but now there are so many channels, there are all these social media outlets, there are all these podcasts that candidates and anybody who wants to get messages out to a broad swath of, a, of the American public has to do what's known as microcasting, where they are now having to target a message to, for example, you know, Moms for Liberty, or maybe target another message to... Uh, millennials or um, fill in the blank of the demographic that you're trying to reach and maybe tweak that message to tailor it uh, to the interest and maybe the language of that particular uh, subset of the demographic. So uh, that is another huge challenge right now is you you can't just easily reach a huge percentage of Americans by going just on one network. No, you can't. And you can't, well, a lot of people now are looking for a single-issue candidate. What are you going to run on? What is your platform? But it's not a single issue in American society. If you're dealing with the average everyday voter, the silent majority of us, it's the economy. It's our family. It's our jobs. It's our neighborhood. Um, This wokeness that is now teaching our kids that it's about that. it's now you have certain things that if I don't address you correctly, I can end up going to jail if you live in New York City. I'm sorry. Before I introduce myself, I'm going to have to ask you what your pronouns are. 
it's it's the world going amok and the everyday person trying to absorb it and understand it uh, is leaving them confused. And either they're going to get out and vote or they're going to hide their head in the, in, under the pillow and say, I don't want to deal with this world. Let someone else take care of it for us. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of um, research out there showing that um, there seems to be a, 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 just a small slice of the American public that is hyper-attuned to politics. Now, there can be exceptions to that. For example, when um, the coronavirus hit, many, many more people, like more, I think it was the study I, I saw, I think it was Rasmussen or one of those polls that showed that it was over 50% of people surveyed said that they consider themselves to be very heavily tuned into news and political news in particular at that time. So, but it, so it can very much waver, but there's just a small slice of the American public that really pays very, very close attention to politics. And um, the rest of the people maybe just show up on election day and kind of make a, a hurried decision uh, a lot of times. That is true. That is true. And if they see a line going out, they're most likely not going to stop to vote because they don't want to waste their time standing in line. Or heaven forbid you stand too close to someone. Or if you're not wearing a mask, if you're standing in line. They don't want to deal with that hassle anymore. And now with state by state, now restricting mail-in balloting uh, requirements or ballot harvesting, you, will we? do you anticipate seeing us a voter decline over last year? Or the last election cycle? Oh, you mean votes? The number of yeah. votes? Yeah. Um, well, that is an interesting question because um, th- there are a lot of polls uh, showing that many Americans are not enthusiastic about seeing a rematch between former President Trump and current President Biden. So if they're not thrilled about it, will they be motivated to vote? That's a very valid question. Now, there is a push within the Republican Party, even at the level of the Republican National uh, Committee, where they are now trying to get people to do what's called bank your vote, meaning kind of sign up so that you will get reminders about voting or get help with uh, applying for uh an absentee ballot or get information about where you can vote early, things like that, because uh, the Democrat side of it actually had taken advantage of the laws that allow in certain states the ballot harvesting where someone other than the voter can collect ballots and deliver those to the election officials. Um, So now the Republican push is, well, they used it to their advantage. We don't like this particular these laws. They, you know, think there's there's a lot of room for, unfortunately, possibly some manipulation or abuse of the process. But the Republicans are like, until we get control again of certain, you know, states that have laws like this, we need to play by the same rules of this game that allow it. So, and uh, former President Trump has been on board with with that now. And he was, and a number of other political leaders on the Republican side had always said, oh, we vote on Election Day as Republicans. But now that tune has changed because 
it's hard to overcome the huge, you know, early vote uh, done by ballot harvesting, done with the people who show up at the polls early. Um, and if, if you have a, you know, thousands and thousands of votes already, and then you have maybe, you know, certain uh, voters who are Republican that don't show up that day because the line's too long or because they forget or because the, they were stuck in traffic or, you know, they had a family emergency or they got sick that day or fill in the blank. A lot, life gets in the way sometimes. And so the, the push is now on the Republican side to kind of do what the Democrats have, have done to their advantage for a lot of years. Yeah, I was reading an article, which I'm thumbing through right now. Uh, you probably laugh if you saw my desk right now. I come sitting before the microphone with about an inch thick of, of printouts. But I was reading an article about a lot of states have altered the manner in which they're doing a, their primary. And it's now favoring delegates towards Trump, where you've got a state that has winner takes all. Uh, rather than splitting the delegates based upon percentage of votes. Um, so it gives him an advantage, but does it? will it then encourage people to show up on Election Day to actually cast that vote? And when you mentioned bank the vote, uh, I was on a, a Zoom call with my executive committee in my county, and this is the very thing we were talking about, looking at the stats of voting turnout uh, in 2020 compared to uh, this, the last election cycle in 2022 and weighing it to previous election cycles. And it's something that I'm seeing the Republican Party leaning heavily towards in using the bank to vote. And I'm sorry, I, me personally, if you call me every couple of days telling me to get out to vote, get out to vote, I'm going to be pissed off. <laughs> but that's my personal opinion. But uh, I'm wondering if that bank the vote will actually push people over the top and make them actually go to the polls. It, 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 since it's a new initiative on the part of the uh, national GOP, that remains to be seen. Uh, so uh, actually there are a couple of uh, states. I, I know, for example, in California, there was a controversy among some Trump supporters about California um, changing the uh, the way it, it doles out the delegates, and that was, they did have the winner take all, uh, but apparently because of the date of the primary election changing to an earlier date, uh, they there is uh, something in the the uh, either the I think it's the California. Um, GOP rules that says that they would have, or maybe the national RNC even, says they have to um, change to an apportion system where, you know, if you get, you know, 50% or whatever, this is what you get, and then you get a certain percent for this. I don't know exactly what the, the parameters are, but there's a controversy over that, and I, I mentioned that in an article. Um, right now, the, the details of it are at the top of my mind just because I've had so much going on with the attention on the indictments and the possible indictments of former President Trump. Well, maybe it was your article I was reading because I'm going through your pile and I'm going, I know I saw it here. I know mm -hmm. I saw it here and I just don't, can't find it because <laughs> I got all your articles printed out. Um, but one of the things that I, I was so jealous of, I honestly really, I, I, I back in... 
oh, good Lord, I think it was 2011, 2012, South Carolina, we used to have a Tea Party Coalition convention in Myrtle Beach uh, on the weekend of Martin Luther King's birthday. And when Trump announced he was running, I was he showed up in the uh, auditorium, and I was supposed to interview him, but I had already packed up half of my radio equipment when Joe Dugan grabbed me. He goes, do you want to? And it's like, half of it was in the car. I'm heading out the door. Uh, what type of a candidate is he going to be? Now, I'm a, you can tell from my dialect, I'm a native New Yorker. So I grew mm-hmm. up, or actually, I grew up with Trump in New York State. Um, so I'm like, yeah, 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 right, right. He's a businessman. He hasn't got a chance in the snowball. Boy, was I wrong. So when you did this interview with him uh, about him telling a packed house, leaving is easy, life was worth it. I said, oh, my God, if anyone really caught the essence of this man, you did on this article. Tell me about it, and, and how did the crowd take him? Well, actually, I didn't interview him. That was just his speech. Um, ah. And the, the, the crowd was on it applauding when he came out and said you have no idea what I do for you and that he, he would seem to be sincere I think and that's why there was this outpouring and when he first showed up to that particular speech which is the turning point action conference in Florida one of my colleagues put it this way you could literally feel almost like the wall shaking because the cheering was literally that loud so you know, it's very interesting to see, you know, the people who despise Trump absolutely despise him. And the people who love him, they, you know, one guy I quoted in Pickens, uh, South Carolina, said, I think people would, would weather a tornado for this man just to get to see him. Um, and so it, it's such a dichotomy. And, and I think a lot of us have probably seen this in our own lives that there's not a whole lot in the middle, uh, not a whole lot of people who are just like, well, he's okay. Um, you either kind of love him or hate him, and, and that that's out there. Um, the closest thing that I see to the middle is people who say things like um, they don't like his, you know, kind of New York attitude, right, his kind of brash and kind of <laughs> blunt and, and just kind of, you know, he does the name calling. People think that sounds juvenile, but then they'll go, but I like his policies, so I just still go ahead and vote for him. So that's the closest what I would call to somebody more being in the middle about uh, former President Trump in terms of their opinion on him. So um, it'll be definitely very interesting to see. Um, so far, like you said, we have seen uh, his support. And at least in, as far as the polls, if you as far as you can believe them, <laughs> who knows, uh, seems to have risen in the wake of the indictments. But it, as more potential indictments come down the pike, will that remain the you know a trend, or will it go the other direction? Will people think there's just too much baggage? Uh, again, so it'll it'll be interesting to see. And regardless of what happens, the ramifications for our country, for our political system, for our justice system, are huge no matter which way it goes. You know, I, I always, when people ask me about him, I says, listen, you look at it this way. Everyone has a crazy Uncle Joe in the family. But the thing is, 
are you supportive and do you like the actions he has taken to move this country forward or is that going to be outweighed by the fact he may have said something you disagree with about an individual? I mean, all right, people always say stupid things, but what they actually do speaks louder than the words they speak. So what are you going to be voting for? An individual whose personality just rubs you wrong or the individual that gets the job done? And that's how I explain it. And most people go, yeah, you know what? I didn't think of it that way. And maybe yeah, that's heard, the message he um, needs to get across. Some more, I've heard some more sentiments along those lines just lately when I've been interviewing. Uh, when, I, when I interview someone, um, for example, if they're very pro-Trump, I'll say, what do you hear from the other side? <laughs> that way, if, you know, if I can't get somebody, excuse me for the cough, if I can't get somebody to say, uh, if I can't get somebody from the other side to really give me a, a strong interview, sometimes I, I can use that. It's not the ideal. I mean, I, I I always try to get pro and con and in the middle whenever possible on any issue or any candidate. Yeah, would I would I wish that he wasn't as bombastic? Yeah. But I'm half Italian, and you take the spaghetti, you want to find out what's going to stick to the wall and, and let it know it's going to be done, the good idea that's going to work. That's what you do. And I go, and that, my analogy is he takes the spaghetti, he throws it against the wall, sees what sticks, and goes with that. You, you notice he throws things out with several different ideas at the same time, and you never know which way he's going to go until he sees which one actually sticks and it's going to work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it has been a pleasure. We've had you on longer than the 30 minutes we originally had you. I want to welcome you back. Mark should be joining us in about 10 minutes. Uh, so if you pass him in the hallway, say, hey, I talked to that crazy lady you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say I, I, I don't get to see Mark in person. We both work remotely. Um, but I I have spoken to him a number of times, and he is a great colleague and does phenomenal work. And so I, I'm a privilege to to work alongside somebody like him for sure. Yes, I I got to have him the first time for an interview when he was doing Hill Faith. Well, he's the founder of that before he came to the Epoch Times, um, and he was working with a couple of other people, and I've known him for that long. So God bless what everyone does over there. Love the newspaper, and I actually get it delivered to my mailbox. Excellent. So glad to hear that and. You know, a lot of people may not realize that the Epic Times is actually a nonprofit organization, and we rely on our subscribers and on donations. And um, we also have some kind of cool things on our our website. You can actually order, believe it or not, coffee, <laughs> Epic Coffee, um, to go with your newspaper. So I would just uh, thank all of our readers and subscribers for everyone who supports us. It's so important to support independent journalism. We're not owned by some big conglomerate. Um, independent journalism is really so important to our country, and I just want to thank you for helping us get out the word about what we do. Oh, it is my pleasure. Absolutely. People can find you at theepictimes.com. There's a link on the show page. They just click on it, and they can go read your magnificent articles, as well as the health and beauty and living sections and all the religion sections and all the other sections in there, plus the Sudoku and crossword. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. You have to have those good mix of things for people. Absolutely. Absolutely, Janice. And God bless. You're welcome back to the show anytime. Just turn around to Vicky and say, Victoria, that crazy lady. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it was a pleasure. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you. All right, Curtis. Bye-bye. Um Mark should be Mark should be calling in in a co- in about ten minutes or so. Um there was a couple other things I wanted to go over with, uh, but let me see where I can find my notes. Uh, well, I was just thinking how much of a publicity nightmare that must be when when people have problems um, figuring out how to pronounce the name, like Epic or Hippo or whatever. <laughs> I've heard it on TV said Epic Times, you know, on on the commercial, uh-huh. those Epic Times. And then Epoch or Epoch or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. They may need yeah. to rethink that name. <laughs> well, no, it depends upon whether or not you speak, you're, you're saying it in English or in the original Greek. Um, or if you're from New York. <laughs> <laughs> Forget about it. Forget about it. <laughs> but things are heating up out there, and there's a lot that's going on, and I don't want to mix up all my notes here. Uh, that's for that. Okay, just bear with me, folks, as I pull up the next bunch of stuff. And that is out the window. Um, we were going to have Hannah Davis, but she was out of the uh, the office this week. And um, I had pulled up some really great articles that were uh, roaming around about immigration. And I had mentioned uh, in past uh, broadcasts um, about the fact that a lot of these illegal aliens coming across, especially children, uh, had come across with diseases that we found eradicated uh, long ago. And some of them being, for example, uh, measles, rubella, and all the others, um, now we're seeing a surge, a resurgence in tuberculosis. Uh, Illegal immigrants, to be honest, illegal aliens, under the age of 18, being released to family members or other adults, having latent tuberculosis infections. And uh, the HHS officials notified state officials from June 1, 2022 through May of this year of tuberculosis-positive youth of a web-based system operated by the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control. Um, they wrote in a court-ordered report. So the CDC was ordered by court to release this information to the public. Now, that in itself is scary. You know, they were quick to turn around and tell us about um, COVID and lock us down on COVID. But they're very slow to tell us about tuberculosis. Um, the Washington Times got a copy of this report and wrote about it. And the report runs... 35 pages and uncovers other aspects of managing illegal immigrant youth who were transferred to to HHS by the Department of Homeland Security after crossing the border. Um, It's saying that each minor must undergo a medical examination within two business days of entering an HHS facility uh, into custody. Uh, But that doesn't mean that all these people are being tested as they come over the border. So we don't know whatever else is being let into. And I was talking about articles that appeared out of uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco of law enforcement officers, first responders, who are coming in contact with these illegal aliens, coming down with leprosy. I mean, we had not seen leprosy 
in almost uh, in almost a century. Almost a century. Yeah, I forgot how but, to spell it. <laughs> it's been so long. But these, so when we're talking about illegal aliens coming in, we're not just talking about you know the human trafficking, uh, the drug trafficking, but the diseases that are also being unleashed into an American society that is no longer prepared to handle them in mass. And that's a heavy cost. I mean, we were talking on our last show about the number of people that died uh, because of COVID, and we're talking about less, less than one hundredth of a percent. But Mm -hmm. how many more people are going to be dying of these diseases that are not being reported to the public by the CDC? That maybe health officials are being told, I'm only I'm only out up opining. I don't have any facts, just opining. How many medical facilities are being told, oh, don't worry about that. That's not something we're going to worry about. So you know, just just stack the numbers up and we'll bury them somewhere. I wouldn't put the well, just administration that, in doing something like that. Just to think, there's no follow up when these folks show up to court the first time and then they disappear after that. You know, you never see them again. If, if they show up to court. That's the whole big thing. Yeah, that's if. what I'm saying. They they don't they don't show up after the first appearance, and um, we don't know where they went. Uh, officials in 44 states received more than 2,450 alerts of illegal uh, immigrant minors with tuberculosis in the year ending May 31st, 2023. Over that same time, 126,069 minors were released. That's, that's a large percentage of minors that are with latent tuberculosis that we are aware of. And once it becomes active, it becomes <clears throat> lethal. And it can be transmitted to anyone around them. So these children, are, the, if they're sent to a relative, that is an illegitimate relative, or if they are trafficked, or if they go into forced care and placed into public school systems. How many more people will then be infected? Is there any way to know? Is anyone going to keep track of that? And it's not just tuberculosis. It's rubella. It's smallpox. leprosy. Smallpox. It's a lot of diseases that we had eradicated that are now being respread around our nation. And because... This administration will not protect the borders, will not screen those coming over. I mean, if we were to go to a foreign country, they have requirements, if you were to visit, that you have certain vaccines and have that stamped on your passport that you have been vaccinated. But yet we have illegal immigrants coming over, and there's no way of screening them medically. No one's screening them. Unless they end up in an HHS facility. However, they're showing up at checkpoints, being placed on buses and planes and sent around the nation, sent into our local small towns, and we have no idea what is hitting us until we have an outbreak. So it, Well, it's, just uh, the, the diseases that you mentioned makes a strong case for um, all of this being a, a national security issue. And more of a reason, you know, to to put up, you know, a border. I mean, you know, 
put a wall up on a border to you know keep these diseases out of the United States because um, it's impacting all of us. You know, it's a threat to all well, of us in some way or another, and I, I cannot, you know, I cannot see any reason why they wouldn't look at this as a national security issue. But we know they don't care about that. No, no. Uh, Zachary Staber from the uh, Epic Times wrote this article, and he writes, Some states confirm they have been told by minors with active tuberculosis, in addition to latent cases, quote, the department, in conjunction with local health departments, coordinates care and appropriate follow-up for anyone with active tuberculosis reported, reported through this mechanism. This is from a spokeswoman for the New York State Department of Health. She told the Epic Times via email. Uh, and now some minors, by the time states are alerted to the cases, have already moved elsewhere. So gee whiz, you know, little, this little kid comes through the, the state, has active or latent tuberculosis. The state, by the time they are notified, the kid's off somewhere else. Lord knows where else. Some individuals, uh, she writes, relocate prior to case interviews. And this is for a spokeswoman for West Virginia Department of Health and Human Resources. So even if they haven't, minors can choose not to go undergo offered treatment, according to a spokesman for the independent, I'm sorry, Indiana Department of Public Health. Hmm. You know, uh, Rep- Representative Paul Gozer uh, told the Epic Times, Biden's broken border policies continue to welcome millions of lawbreakers into our country, including countless of thousands of infectious diseases such as tuberculosis. Rather than protecting Americans, the Biden regime is quite literally bringing disease and death to our doorstep. Wow. And that's true. They are. And like I said, they don't care. They have an agenda. No. Um, not only that, my friend Sam Faddis, he's got AND Magazine, A-N-D Magazine, and he's got analysis and commentary he wrote recently, just came out uh, yesterday, uh, dealing with the immigration across our borders. And in the last year of Donald Trump's presidency, he writes, three individuals on the terror, terror watch list were intercepted. Uh, the key question that the press appears uninterested in is asking why. Now, he's saying that in this article, there's an increase of Yemenis on the terror watch list suddenly showing up in Mexico and sneaking across the border. Uh, and in New York, there's a reason why we're now awash in dangerous individuals with known ties to terrorism. So they are coming across. Now, additionally, there's the same reason for Pakistanis and those from Afghanistan, where the Taliban and their terrorist allies include al-Qaeda, are exporting jihad. And he goes on and on to uh, cite instances of terrorists coming across our borders and not being checked. We know of the ones we caught, but we don't know about the gotaways. And... Um, this is an unsecure border. It's simply a threat 
This is not simply a threat for possible criminals and others in South America. There are peoples from a variety of countries, not just China, who I think are sneaking in. This is from Fred Welts, a former uh, longtime CIA, CIA, CIA analyst who served as chief of staff to the National Security Council under Trump. And he was speaking to Just the News. Uh, Mark Morgan, the former acting commissioner of uh, Customs and Border Protection, he said we literally could have the next terrorist sleeper cell in the United States planning a terrorist attack, and we have no idea. Well, what, what do you think about the ones that um, have been invited here? I don't, I don't know if you remember, but a couple of years ago, there were some military types that were here supposedly on training. I think about six of them just disappeared from a base and were never heard from again. And, yeah, you those know, were stories. It got quiet. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that story went dead. It went cold. You didn't hear anything well, else about that. Uh, Hillary Clinton, when Secretary of State, uh, negotiated an agreement with the Saudis that the Saudis would have sole power to issue visas to exit Saudi Arabia to come to the United States. We mm. did not have veto power on who they were sending over. Hillary Clinton gave that power strictly to the Saudis. Mm. Uh, remember how many of our 9-11 hijackers came out of Saudi Arabia? That should really make you feel safe sleeping at home at night, really. What was happening is these visas were being issued to individuals slated to work on military bases. They show up at the military base, and then they disappear. Disappear. No one knows where they went. So we do, you know, there's got to be sleeper cells here in the United States waiting for the right moment to attack. And we're coming up close to that. And the... People are starting to ring the bell and shout out from the treetops and the building tops that uh, we are actually in trouble. We are actually, actually in trouble. And I don't know if anyone saw the Mayorkas uh, hearing um, when uh, Mark Tapscott calls in. I want to ask him about that uh, because it's got to be... Oh. He, he's got to see a lot more things than I did, but um, just bear with me for a second. I'm trying to see if I can. Uh, I'm sorry. I apologize, folks. This is a live broadcast, and I'm just trying to make sure that. Okay. And here we go. Uh, no, 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 no. We want, we want. Okay, here we go. Want to make sure that he does call in, so I'm sending him a message now to copy and paste. There we go. Send him the message to make sure that he does call in. Because last time uh, he was supposed to call in, uh, his boss called him and says, you've got to go to mandatory training. He had sent me a text about half an hour before I went on air with you. And, of course, I don't check my emails uh, about an hour before. I mean, I'm so busy getting everything set up, I don't have time to look at them. I guess I'm going to have to change my rules and keep an eye on my emails. Uh, yeah, but an email last minute. Yeah, last <laughs> minute. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it didn't work out the way it should have. But anyway, Curtis, um, your guest that you brought in was, great, was really great. And uh, we'd yeah, love Josh, to have him back on. 
you know, like I said, he's worked for a state representative, um, I think it was Keith Perry, <clears throat> and he worked for a U.S. congresswoman, um, Kat Kamek. So he has a great yeah. insight on uh, what's going on with these campaigns and and how these politicians think. And like you said, you know, how how they perceive, you know, what's going on in the real world versus the the world they they exist in, you know. It's something you have to have advisors to come to you to tell tell them how, you know, the ordinary American is struggling. <laughs> and something yeah. else. All you gotta do is well, go to the supermarket. It it kinda reminds me of Bush the Elder when they asked him about the price of milk or something. He had no clue. <laughs> Well, you know, here you have someone that grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth, and you have to give him credit. He did serve in World War Two uh, and valiantly. Um, you, can't, you can't really fault him for that. But he grew up where, you know, that was not something he did. A housekeeper did that. Someone else did it for them. And so that's okay. where they end up losing touch with the average man. Um, I'm sure if you turn around and ask Donald Trump, what is the price of milk, he may or may not know. And I would say most likely someone's buying it for him. He's not worrying about how much he's paying for milk. But you and I are. And when I see a, a loaf of bread that we bought only two years ago at 99 cents being $3.69, that's, that's more than triple. That's almost four times the rise in price in that one loaf of bread. And you wonder why, and you start looking at gas prices. Number one, number one factor, because you need vehicles to transport, to cut the grain, to plant the grain, to cut the, harvest the grain, to bring it to the silo, to process the grain, to bring it from the processing over to the manufacturers, along with all the other ingredients. And every gallon of gas goes into that price of that loaf of bread, and people don't understand that. The manufacturing of the equipment that requires petrochemicals to bring it to market is affected by the cost of oil as we mine it for the petrochemicals to make the wiring, to make the seats, to do this, to do that. And the price, people don't understand, a little bit here, a little bit there, and suddenly a 99-cent loaf of bread is now $3.69. Now, throw in the raise the cost of wages. How many people have gone to a fast food restaurant and instead of walking up to the counter and talking to someone, you're pointed to a kiosk, you punch a button, punch of buttons, and someone in the counter hands you it and you walk on your way. Or sometimes you don't even come to contact with the person. Those $15 an hour wages had cost jobs because now automation has replaced that person which may mean the price of that fast food meal may come down, but that person's now out of a job on the public dole. And now your taxes are paying for that person to be unemployed. So it, people don't understand the consequences of these liberal policies. The rise in the economy, the inflation, the rise in, in interest rates also causes businesses, it costs more to do business. Because if they're looking for a capital loan, to expand their business, or to buy new uh, equipment, or even expand how many employees you have, the interest on that loan is then factored into 
the cost of goods served and sold. Then you add in the rise of taxes. Oh, yeah, it's a penny tax. It's only a penny tax. It's a penny tax on every dollar you spend. And you think, well, $5 is five cents more. By the end of the week, add up how many more pennies you paid on every, every single item. Because that penny tax goes not on just your foods and goods you purchase, but it goes into the buildings that you walk into for their electricity, the phone that, that they use, your cell phone, your, your TV provider. Every single thing you touch, that penny is going to be added into. Well, I'm not being taxed on food. Fine, but you're being taxed on the gas that that person put in their truck to bring it to market. And the more it costs for it to bring to market, the higher that piece is going to, that bread's going to be when it gets to market. And people fail to understand the economy. All they know is I'm paying $3.69. I don't see a $0.99 cents for a loaf of bread on the shelf anymore. Yeah. Ask then, elected officials why. And then you have to to factor in, you know, with all these 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 funds coming in from taxes, government waste. Because government wastes a lot of money. You know, if government would just do what you know they were designed to do and mandated to do by the Constitution, we wouldn't be thirty three trillion dollars in debt right now. But they just spend, 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 like there's no tomorrow and print, print, print. And none of this is backed up by gold or silver. Exactly. No one wants to say quantitative easing. That's what it was originally called. And everyone said, oh, no, you're scaring the public, quantitative easing. And there were videos and mimes and everything else out there about quantitative easing. But it's factual. Our dollar is not worth a dollar, one dollar ten years ago. It's not worth $1. It was 100 years ago, much less what it was worth at the founding of our nation. You know, our dollar is not giving us a dollar back in goods and services. We're getting it a, a minutia back. And I can't tell you what the actual market value is today. But the more our dollar devalues, the more we're going to see prices soar and the less we're going to buy. But then again, if you want a subservient society, a subservient uh, class of citizens, what better way to do that than to burden them with debt and make them where they can't afford what the elite can? What better way well, they, to control your vote? They, they definitely did a number on the middle class with COVID because they put so many, so many um, small businesses out of business, and this has always been the goal of those who who seek a communist, you know, um, um, environment. Because you got you got to get rid of the middle class. You can only have an upper and lower class. So COVID played right into um, getting rid of you know those who who have um, raised themselves by the bootstrap. Now they're struggling. Well, not only that, not only that, you take away personal property. If you are unable to earn own personal property, you are then at the the hands of whoever the landlord is. And what if the landlord is communist China or government? What if then public housing, government housing? 
what if that's your only option? What if because you no longer are able to afford your own home, you're forced into an urban area where prices of goods and services are higher than in a suburban or rural area, and pricing for uh, housing for your apartment or condo, whatever you have, is going to be a lot higher per square foot than it would be if you had something in the suburban or urban area, but because of interest rates, or or you have a social uh, scoring, you're not the right racial background, you're not the right religious background, you're not the right political affiliation, uh, then now you're, according to Chinese communist social system, you can't get a loan. You can't get a lease to uh, rent an apartment. You can't send your child to school. You can't do this. You can't do that because now government is going to use the very things of the economy against you. And that's what we have to prevent this nation from falling into. What else are ESGs? Equity, social, and governance. The ESGs. You get a little score and suddenly you may not be able to get a alone at that bank that favors anyone that has a positive ESG. If you're negative, your interest rate's going to be higher, and you can't buy that house. You can't buy that car. You can't send your children to that college. And this is what we're fighting. This is what we are fighting on this show, and this is what we're fighting in this nation. And and what's driving this is the fact that they want you to um, accept them of things like gay rights and certain environmental um, policies and and things like that. And if you don't support that, then you get a negative, as you say, score. In other words, they're trying to put the squeeze on you. They're trying to put you in a position, almost like um, I would say um, you go to Walmart, per se. You used to have counters where you had checkout, you know, cashiers, and now... You might have one or two, and the rest are self-checkout. So slowly they are forcing people to use the, the um, self-checkout um, counters. And, 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 and the left, they're good at that, you know, squeezing you to um, a position where they have you pretty much. And um, mm-hmm. you have to do their bidding. And we have to be so, so mindful of that. They do things in increments. It's just like here in Florida. They did the uh, medicinal marijuana. They got that. Now the next step they want to do is recreational. So, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, wait, wait, we have we, to stop this. Not, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did, did you mentioned medicinal marijuana. MasterCard just came out with a statement saying they will not authorize any charges on a MasterCard, whether it's a credit card or a debit card, for people who purchase marijuana. They just said simply said marijuana. They didn't say recreational. They simply said marijuana as the way I was reading the uh the bullets underneath the uh news broadcast. So that means in many places anyone looking for legal medicinal marijuana cannot purchase that medication using a MasterCard. Now, this is a bank telling you what is legal to purchase and what is – they're determining what your purchasing habits are. And if it's legal in that state, it's that state's right to determine 
recreational, medicinal, whatever, yes or no. And if you choose that you've got a medical condition and your doctor says, hey, I'll write you a prescription, but you may have to go to Colorado to get it filled. And Massacre said, well, no, you're not allowed to get that medication because it's X, Y, Z. And if it's, they're going to do it with marijuana, what are you going to do next? Guns? Ammunition? Oh, I'm sorry, you're not buying LBGTQ attire, so you're not allowed to wear that outfit. Um, they will then determine what you can and cannot buy. What right does it give them for you to make a personal choice? Now, I would add to that, <laughs> though the states have different policies towards um, this marijuana thing, at the national level, it is still illegal, the federal level. Now, so that may, on the federal level, as far as, you know, marijuana. And, well, that, that would be you know, mostly the, dealing with crossing state lines, it possibly, possibly, although we yeah. don't know of anyone legally transporting it across state lines being prosecuted, and it's not highly enforced. It's if you have illegal that they will go after you with it. But what they also say is that uh, the federal law, as I understand it, uh, is not allowing wire uh, electronic transfers of monies uh, dealing with illegal narcotics. Uh, so therefore, these marijuana shops deal in cash. But if you have someone that says, well, we've got a credit card provider that's going to say, yeah, well, you can use the, the thing, how is government going to enforce that? And federal law has not officially been enforcing that. But that's also why a lot of these marijuana shops, these CBC shops and others, are being robbed because they know they have a lot of cash on hand. They do it through the banking system. Somehow or other, you cannot bring the proceeds in uh, one way or another. I, I forget the fine-tuning. If someone that's in the banking industry who knows the, the, what the ins and outs are, you know, post in the chat or, you know, you know call in or whatever. Uh, but I do know dealing with the finance in the industry, the government has made restrictions on it. So you can't bank the money from the sales or whatever, whatever it is. They make it very difficult. But what happens when a state says, hey, listen, this is a state issue. It's not a federal issue. Uh, again, where do they now prohibit your purchasing power? If you decide to buy a 1928 Ford uh, Model A because you don't want an electronic car and you want to use just a gasoline car to drive around in, and they say, no, you can't purchase that because it's not an electronic vehicle. Hmm. hmm. That would they now restrict your purchasing habits because you're not buying what government wants you to buy, like that LED light bulb? What happened to my good old-fashioned incandescent light bulbs? And if the incandescent light bulbs come back, um, are you going to prohibit me from using my debit card or credit card to purchase light bulbs? Where does it stop? Yeah, I think there's always going to be a tug of war between the federal government and state government when it comes to certain policies. And I think um, that they will each try to undermine the other, um, just like 
what's going on with the some of the rulings that came out of the Supreme Court recently, especially Roe v. Wade. Um, of course, the federal government don't like it, so they're going to do whatever they can to usurp what the Supreme Court ruled. And, 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 and then it's the reverse on certain things when it comes to the state and, and their, um, their views on the federal government. You know, they're going to try to um, find ways around federal government, you know, policy or guidelines. So I don't, I don't see that stopping anytime soon. But um, overall, too much government is bad government, if you want to ask me. Exactly, exactly. And I don't know if you caught any of the hearings that were going on, uh, but this one young lady, a college sports, uh, I forget what, the, what, what field she was playing in, uh, was testifying before Congress, and next to her was that uh, the young lady that trans- transitioned into a man and then transitioned back at the age of 15. She had a double mastectomy, uh, Chloe Cole, and her story is just so heartbreaking. But they sat there, and it was a Democrat that was asking her a question. Uh, like, you feel threatened when you're in the locker room uh, with these transgender women. And, and why don't we just then put up some sort of like a, a divider so that when you're showering next to each other, there's like maybe a curtain or something in between. She shot back, and her answer was so eloquent, so beautiful. I wish I had a clip of it. I wanted to play it but I, I wasn't able to download the clip. Um, she basically said, you know, sir, you just acknowledge that there is a problem. This person is genetically a male, and yes, there is a problem that you see we need to be separated. So if you feel that we do need to be separated when using these facilities and, and not exposing our our bodies to each other in these enclosed same uh, facilities... Uh, why don't you let us use the ladies' rooms for ladies and the men's rooms for men? And she just <laughs> nailed him, nailed him. So she said, you recognize there is a problem. You recognize that our assault's going on because genetic women, you know, real women are being assaulted by these transgender women. They're genetically a man. I'm sorry, you can't change genetics. You can surgically alter the body, but you cannot change the genetics. Unless it's a a COVID vaccine. Uh, But that doesn't change your your birth gender. I'm sorry. It, it It just doesn't happen. But they insist and they insist. And then Kat Kamek, beautiful, she had a clip of a surgical expert explaining um, what happens to these kids when you do the gender surgeries on them. And I, they did not play the whole entire clip on air. They just played parts of it. And Kat Kamak stood there, and God bless this woman, the courage she has. And the Democrats kept on trying to talk over, talk over, talk over. Her grace and poise is just stunning to watch. God bless. we got to get Kat Kamak to come on the show. Um, and finally, uh, she got her chance to show the clip, and the Democrats, because they couldn't shut her down, they couldn't uh, end the hearing, they got like a short recess, they couldn't, they couldn't come to a full, rec- a full close, 
they got up and walked out. And then once they walked out, Kat was able to play the clip before those that remained. So it's on the congressional record. It's there for everyone to read. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that it's posted somewhere that we can all take a look at what she was able to put forward. But it reinforced everything we had in our previous guest last week about the harm that is being done to children uh, with this uh, transgenderism, uh, this humanism that they're, they're foisting on people. And Chloe Cole, she said it. She said it perfectly. She goes, "We talked to the doctors. Uh, we talked to the experts." We talked to everyone, my parents and I did, and everything they told them, they told my parents, well, you either have a transgender son or you'll have a dead child. She said everyone was saying this. And she added that every time I look in the mirror, I see a monster. She doesn't see herself. How this young woman's life had been so destroyed and how many young other lives are being destroyed because they're not being told the truth. They're not being told of what they're going to be getting into with these, these surgeries, these hormone treatments. And it, it is really heart-rendering. And I think soon, I think soon, and mark my words, probably by the end of this year, I'm hoping, it starts to break open even wider. That the harm that's being done to these kids. It's one thing when you're an adult and you make a, a fully informed decision as an adult. But it's another thing when you do this to a child that hasn't any hope of having a normal life from the moment you give them that hormone. And like we know, they they start these kids out very young, indoctrinating them, you know. And I'm going to tell you, it's to the point now where every form that I fill out, when it comes to gender, I'm used to seeing like five different categories, you know, and one of them covers just about everything else. And I was really surprised the other day when I, I came to a form that I had to fill out for some some agency or something, and it actually had male or female. I mean, it was unique to see that. It was like seeing a telephone booth on the street. <laughs> That's how rare that is. That is, but yeah. anyway... Usually, so, you know, you and, got all these different choices, you know. Yeah. You know, the most heartbreaking thing is is that she asked Congress, Chloe Cole, she asked them what, how things would have been so different. What would have happened if my parents had been told, just wait it out. Just let her grow up and let her wait it out, and maybe she'll feel differently. They never yeah. got that chance. We got a we got a caller in on the line. Let's bring this person in. Uh, you have raised your hand. You're here listening to Southern Sense. This is the host Annie Ubellis, along with my co-host Curtis C. S. Bennett. To whom are we speaking? Hello. On caller dropped. Ah. Well, wasn't it you that mentioned one time that um, if there's an autopsy done on you? They put down either male or female, and that's it. The medical uh, I don't know whether or not. I don't know that they don't really go through all those different things, either male or female. I, don't, I honestly, I can't answer that. I can say what happened when I was a cop. Yeah, it was either male or female. There's no in between. Uh, whether or not that happens today, I don't know. But uh, Curtis, if you can reach out to uh, Hans for me, because uh, I don't see him showing up in the studio here. 
so that we can uh, bring him in. And uh, oh, just what I'm going to do. His number. <clears throat> oh, I thought I, I sent it to you already. Uh, let me see. Oh, let me just uh, bear with us, folks. Again, this is <laughs> live radio. You never know what's going to be happening. And obviously, something happened with Mark Tapscott that he didn't uh, make it on today. Um, but yes, you do. Oh no, I, have, I gave you Janice. All right, let me send yep, you this link. Uh, all right. Uh, forget about the hyphens. No hyphens in this. Uh, make sure my fingers hit the right one. And and it's on its way to you. Okay. Uh, I am going to be taking a short, quick break while you call in our guest. And uh, I will be right back. I'm going to give you Dirty Uncles, the face of the new democracy. If you like your health care plan... You'll be able to keep your health care plan.
Oh, and we're back. We're back and on fire. want to welcome from the Heritage Foundation, someone I haven't spoken to in a while, and I miss him, Hans von Spakowski. Good afternoon, Hans. How are you today? I'm, I'm doing just fine, and uh, thanks for having me back on the show. Oh, it's, it's it's my pleasure. We miss you. We miss you very much. <laughs> you got to tell Corinne. <laughs> you know the crazy friend of mine. <laughs> oh man, um, you've been writing a lot of great articles, of course. And I'm always following them. Uh, I just wanted to get your idea uh, about uh, you wrote what about Biden's Ministry of Truth uh, back on the twentieth. And I made a notation on it. What about Mayorkas' testimony about his ministry of truth? I mean, is there any way they're going to not intrude in our life? Well, I tell you just how dangerous the Biden administration is. Um, and what we're talking about is, you know, Louisiana, uh, Missouri sued the Biden administration. And what they said was that... Uh, they were violating the First Amendment prohibition against government censorship. Why? Well, because uh, all these government agencies, everyone from the FBI to the Department of Homeland Security, which, of course, is headed up by Mayorkas, uh, were having meetings, telephone calls, uh, email communications in which they were um, persuading threatening, coercing social media companies like Twitter, Facebook, and others to censor the postings of American citizens, and not, not just on discussion of elections, but also any discussions about COVID that disagreed with the official position, uh, any discussions of the bad economic picture under Biden, even satires of Joe Biden. And anybody who doubts this was happening, Annie, um, the, the opinion by the district court judge is 155 pages. And he spends page after page after page detailing all of these uh, meetings and threats and coercion. And the end result of all this was that the judge issued an injunction against the Biden administration telling it that it was prohibited from any kind of communications with social media companies over First Amendment-protected speech. Now, here's what's scary about this. Not, Not just that they were doing this, but look, the judge very specifically said, uh, my injunction does not apply to communications from, for example, the FBI or DHS, the social media companies over criminal matters, national security issues. Um, He made exceptions for that kind of thing, and yet what does the Biden administration do? They appealed the decision. (laughs) They appealed. They want to be able to censor First Amendment-protected activity. They said it was because, oh, well, they have to ensure public safety and that there's no disinformation out there. But I'm telling you, as the judge said, um, the Biden administration was essentially setting up its own Orwellian ministry of truth. And I think that is 
that's the road to tyranny. When the government starts thinking it should censor anyone who's got an opinion that differs from the official official line. Yeah, well, you're right here. According to uh, Doherty, the judge, virtually all of the free speech suppressed was conservative free speech. While the that's right. First Amendment normally applies to government, not private. Basically, you're saying that the government is using coercive power so that social media becomes agents of the government. And as someone who was discussing COVID, found a lot of my postings pulled down on Facebook, but my YouTube page has been yanked down, and there's no way for me to get back all the recordings I had up there. So right. would no, someone no, like that's... me a little... Yeah, go ahead. No, I wasn't going to say, no, that's exactly it. It's people like you that they were hitting. In fact, look, Missouri and Louisiana sued, but also Jim Hoft, who runs the Gateway Pundit suit. He was, a, he was part of this lawsuit. So were two infectious disease epidemiologists, experts, experts on infectious diseases. And because they were raising doubts and disagreeing with the official line, the government was uh, telling these social media platforms to censor what they were saying. You know, and I, one of the things I did, and I, Curtis will avow to that, that whenever I did talk about COVID and different things, I said, some of this is my personal opinion. I'm not telling you to do X. I'm not telling you to do Y. Just to consult with your medical professional and make an informed decision. I always put that as a disclaimer. And you know what? See, it Anna, didn't, you didn't matter. You didn't need- you didn't need to do that. The, no, I no didn't. matter what you said, no matter what your opinion was, the government had no right to be censoring what you're saying, and yet that's the position the Biden administration uh, is taking. By the way, if you want to know just how widespread this was, the, the injunction order is quite something. It goes on for the beginning of it, goes on for page after page after page, naming all these specific federal agencies and all of the individuals within those agencies that the injunction uh, applies to. And by the way, it includes, for example, the White House press secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre. But all these specific people in the White House are named. They were involved in this. Yeah, that's a hundred and fifty-five page opinion. <laughs> it's like yes, well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I I'll tell you, it's, it, it's a long case to get through. But if you read just a part of it, that details um, the interactions between these government uh, government individuals, it it'll make you angry. It'll make you very angry. It, Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And having been the victim of their censorship, I can understand. And, yeah, it's very frustrating because how am I going to get my stuff back from YouTube uh, unless I go and get an attorney and fight them with it? Uh, how many right. posts have I had taken down off of Facebook, uh, Reddit, and half a dozen other you know, social websites? Because they all follow the Pied Piper. And uh, Jim Jordan yesterday released a uh, Meta, internal meta documents, uh, which he provided damning evidence in the censoring posts. So this is all coming coming to light. 
And it's like, oh, yeah, well, well, maybe there's censorship by this government. Who the thunk? Yeah, and the attitude of these uh, government employees who are totally unapologetic about this, that's what you scare, scare folks. And if you want to know how much, how many people were affected, the judge said that um, this resulted in literally millions, millions of posts being censored um, by these social media companies. By the way, something else that happened. Remember Chris Ray, right, the director of the FBI, uh, recently <laughs> testified within the last two weeks? And mm-hmm. he was specifically asked about this, and he claimed in his sworn testimony that, oh, no, 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 they did not, the FBI wasn't censoring postings by American citizens. Uh, oh, they were only um, they were only concerned with disinformation by foreign companies. That's not yes. what the judge says. The judge says no. the FBI, and this is a quote, the FBI made no attempt to distinguish whether uh, reports and postings were American or so they clearly weren't distinguishing between the opinions of American citizens and people outside of the country. So Chris Ray basically was lying when he said that uh, no. under no. before oh, Congress. No. What a surprise, no. right? What a surprise. <laughs> well, did you catch Mayorkas and Matt Getz? I mean, I, just, I was cheering Getz on left and right uh, when he went after Mayorkas. Who, are, who determines what is misinformation? And he kept them doing the same line that Ray did, exactly the same line. Well, we're just looking for foreign entities. Well, what is a foreign entity? And he could not even answer that basic question. Who exactly were you targeting? We're looking for misinformation dealing with foreign entities. I, I, I'm, I'm shaking my head, and Getz just went after him, and I just loved it. It's about time we have someone with conies out there. Well, no, you're absolutely right. And, again, Mallorca is making that claim. That is an absolute lie, according to the federal district court judge who issued this injunction and reviewed and saw all of the evidence in the case. Department of Homeland Security was censoring both domestic opinion and things coming from abroad. Mm. Now, here's a, a two-part one, because uh, back in the beginning of June, the Supreme Court ruled in reference to college uh, uh, diversity, the discrimination right. in American universities against Asian Americans. And that followed up by an article you just wrote also dealing with the First Amendment about federal agencies doing reverse discrimination. Now, right. having been a victim numerous times during affirmative action of reverse discrimination and attempting to take out a small business loan back in 1970, uh, being told, I'm sorry, you're not the right racial background. I said, but I'm a female. No, no, no. Females are no longer considered a minority. You have to be one of these classes. And I was told the same exact thing that you have in your article. And later on, going for promotions through NYPD. I'm sorry, we have a curve, because if you're a certain racial background, you're going to get one side of this curve. If you're another, you're going to get that side of the curve. So instead of doing it on a one to a hundred percentage, just question for question, I would have been promoted. But based upon the curve, 
I was then placed in the back of the way back in the line, the back of the bus, uh, and then seeing people that scored far lower than me being promoted. I lived through this. I, I felt yeah, the you, other end you were, of it time and time you, again. Yeah, you were being discriminated against, and uh, those government agencies were violating the Civil Rights Act. They, they, there's no question. They were violating the law. But, of course, as you well know, the problem is the average person doesn't have the money and the resources to go up against Either not, not even just the federal government, but just going up against local government and state governments. Most people just can't afford to do it. So many of these agencies violate the law. They discriminate on a racial basis, and um, and they get away with it. You know, so much for equal protection under the law. Uh, but right. my notes are scribbled all over the article that you wrote. Uh, because you wrote that government applies a rebuttable presumption that any members of of one of these groups is socially and economically disadvantaged. Thus, they don't have to actually submit any evidence that they fit in that category. Right. So in other words, simply based upon you are of a certain racial background, um, that means that you are automatically considered by government to be uh, disadvantaged, either socially or economically. In other words, government is saying that because you're genetically born the way you are, you're just too stupid to, to, to make the grade. That is the most bigoted right. and insulting thing government could ever do. It, no, it, it is. And, and let's be very frank about it. This means the government is making decisions based on your skin color. That is what is that is what is going on in these kinds of cases. And that is not only morally wrong, it's a violation of, of federal law, and they should not be doing it. And all of us need to be going after every agency that does it. Now, in this particular case we're talking about, fortunately, a small company uh, in, in a Tennessee case sued because, in fact, both the Small Business Administration and the Department of Agriculture were discriminating in their programs and their contract awards based on race. And the court said, you can't do that. Exactly. Now, there was no process to question. There was no way for a third party to come in and say, right, well, wait a minute, we got a problem with this process. So there really was right. no appeal. So once they said no, no was no. Yeah, there was nothing you could, you could do about it. You, you had, didn't have the ability to come in and say, well, look, this company that you awarded this contract to, you, Department of Agriculture, because the owner, for example, is African-American, well, he's a, multi, he's a multi-billionaire. <laughs> he's not economically disadvantaged. No, they were not interested in hearing anything like that. No, they said disadvantaged, well, you know, um, Normally, meeting economically disadvantaged means that you don't have enough capital. You don't have enough Correct. access to credit. But they weren't looking at that. And as you said, you can be a billionaire, walk in there and say, well, I'm the right uh, genetic background, so you know, give me that loan or give me that contract. Uh, forget about you know, that poor little person down the street, uh, the, the defendant, uh, Celeste Bennett. Uh, it was Ultima Services versus the Department of Agriculture. Um, and what's worse 
There was no database to base these decisions on. What proved to right. them that there was a disadvantage based upon your genetic background over another class of people? Well, like I said, it was just uh, they decided which groups were economically disadvantaged and it depended entirely on your, your skin color. By the, by the way, Eddie, we should all stop using the left terminology of affirmative action. That, that sounds – they use that language because it makes it sound as if you're doing something good. No. Those programs racially discriminate based on someone's skin color, and they either punish you because of your skin color or they reward you for your skin color, whether it's in the college admissions process, whether it's in employment, whether it's in the contracting business. Uh, it is blatant, uh, invidious racial discrimination, and we should not tolerate that. You know, it's funny because I remember back I had managed a law firm in New York in Great Neck, uh, at one point, and I was looking to leave. I had an opportunity to go with American Express, and I didn't want to leave the senior partner, my boss, without someone, you know, an assistant to, to work with him. And I had tried hiring this one guy, and another woman had applied. Uh, and I hired the guy, and he just wasn't working out at all, so I had to let him go. So I called the second applicant, and I said, you know, said, listen, he didn't work out. It was a disaster. I feel you fit the bill. And before I could finish my sentence, she goes, well, you didn't hire me because I was black. And I said, no, I looked at your <laughs> resume. I think you'd get a far better job. You're taking a step down taking this job, in my personal opinion. I think you can go to XYZ and get a better, better situation. She did end up taking the job. But to automatically assume, and I was telling her, you're, too, you're overqualified. But, hey, listen, she was going in on her merit, but automatically they assumed that it was based upon skin color. And there is nothing in our government that has a race-neutral alternative to any of these types of programs. Right. And that, by the way, was a key factor in that um, uh, contracting case in Tennessee against the Department of Agriculture. It was also a key factor in the recent Supreme Court decision against Harvard and the University of North Carolina was, yeah, they didn't have any kind of alternative programs that they had even looked at uh, to try to help, you know, businesses that, that need help. No, they just used racial categories and uh, didn't look at any kind of alternatives. That was another reason why the, the court ruled against both these government agencies and these two universities. Yeah, and there was also a recent ruling dealing with, uh, not re recent ruling, um, a lawsuit that was uh, got a, uh, what do you call it? Um, oh, my God, I just had a big brain fart. Was awarded, <laughs> oh, good my luck, Moscow, Indiana. It's the uh, guy that was ripped out of the uh, hymnal prayer service and handcuffed because he wasn't wearing a mask. Uh, religious right. uh, objection. And... The town of Moscow, Idaho, settled. That's the word I'm thinking of, settled for $300,000. My question to you, and I'm asking those with legal backgrounds, especially yours, <laughs> very impressive, uh, is your opinion that this settlement will open the door to other people challenging these COVID mandates 
that violated a person's religious belief? Uh, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> but uh, keep in mind, uh, COVID's now been over for a while, so if this happened to you a couple of years ago, um, you better you better think about legal action very quickly, otherwise the statute of limitations may run. Uh, that is excellent, excellent advice, uh, because you've got untold number of individuals that lost their jobs, whether they be first responders or in the medical field or even the military, uh, that would not take the jab because of religious objections. Uh, how many right. businesses or churches were forced to close their doors for services? And depending upon what state you live in with or what agency was involved with those mandates would determine what the statute of limitations are. And right now, uh, the pandemic was last year, did they declare that it was over, that there's no more mandate, or is, is there still something in effect that could extend no, the statute no, of limitations? No. Joe Biden supposedly said it's over with, but uh, if you were arrested because you weren't wearing a mask or anything like that, uh, the injury to you was when you were arrested. So that's when the statute of limitations starts running. Good advice. So, folks, if you're out there listening and you were a victim, find your your, your best ambulance chaser nearby. <laughs> We miss you so much. Uh, we only have like three minutes left. I want to thank you for joining us. And we got to have sure. you back more often. You get, tell Corinne, hey, I like that lady. <laughs> <laughs> you call, call her anytime, and uh, if I could do it, I will. All right. And I want to also remind that you do have your book out of dealing with elections. What was the title of the book again? Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. Ah, at the theater near you coming soon <laughs> with the next election coming up. <laughs> well, thank you, and God bless. Have a, have a safe and blessed weekend. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Hans von Spakowski. You can find him at heritage.org. That's all we got, Curtis, for the show, and I have no idea who I have for next week, so <laughs> I'll start posting it on the uh, pre-show page for people to check out. I want to thank everyone that listened over here on Facebook, YouTube, on my home page, I'm sorry, I have not been checking all the uh, chat rooms around, and those that were in the chat room here on Blog Talk Radio, and also, not to leave this individual out, our friend Sweet Sue from uh, sitting in, listening in also. Sweet Sue, hope you're feeling well. And we'll see everyone here next Friday. Uh, it may be a shorter show because my fiance is going in for surgery Depending upon what happens, I'll let you guys know whether or not we can do a full show or a truncated version. Until then, Curtis, I say good night and God bless. And leave everyone with our song from Gary Pecorella, Save America.
America. 